With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That warm feeling inside. From Boxed Boilers. Sponsors of Weather on GB News. Twenty twenty four, a battleground year. The year the nation decides. As the parties gear up their campaigns for the next general election. Who will be left standing when the British people make one of the biggest decisions of their lives? Who will rise and who will fall? Let's find out together. For every moment, the highs, the lows, the twists and turns. We'll be with you for every step of this journey. In twenty twenty four, GB News is Britain's election channel. Martin Daubney, weekdays from 3pm. Welcome to the show. Superb stuff, great footage. So you're right in the thick of it there. What's the mood on the ground? Well, I've left there now. I've actually now come to that EU Council summit that I was talking about. Um, it's still pretty chaotic. The entire city of Brussels has been completely clogged with these tractors, sort of three abreast in most of the roads across the city. The people of Brussels aren't particularly happy. I mean, this is sort of reminiscent for some people of the Just Stop Oil protests, you know, people gluing themselves, people are unable to get to hospital appointments. And there's a lot of upset about the destruction that's happening on the streets of Brussels today. But on the other side, there's also the protests, which the farmers are saying that EU green laws simply are not able uh, to bit with what they need to do to keep their businesses going. And just before the protests happened, we saw the European Commission actually make some concessions to the farmers' protests. And this is on the, the demands that were put on them to set aside somewhere in the region of 5% of their land for regrowing for biodiversity. Mm. A lot of the farmers have said that's not possible. And the European Commission has said that they can delay that coming in. So they have won a small concession with these protests. And Jack, there's a feeling as well, a huge dissatisfaction that the European Union has managed to find 50 billion euros in aid to send to Ukraine. And yet farmers in particular are on the, on the receiving end of net zero targets, taxation on diesel and endless red tape. So many farmers, Jack, saying they're measuring ditches to see if they have to drain them or not. There are minimum requirements on the width of battery hen um, enclosures. And Endless red tape, as Jeremy Clarkson pointed out in Clarkson's form in Britain. They've simply had enough and they're shouting, Ursula von der Leyen, we are here. I think the most exciting bit for me is talking to people. People who I think are ignored often by the major news channels 
we're going to give news they want to hear. There's a voice there that needs to be heard. I think there's a chance here for a diversity of opinion to be expressed, which you don't find elsewhere. It's really exciting. We don't hold back. We're free to say how decisions that are taken here affect us all around the country. Only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Good afternoon, Britain. It's 12 o'clock on Monday, the 19th of February. Warning to the Kremlin. Britain will take action over the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Uh, as David Cameron warns uh, MPs today when they return to the House of Commons that new sanctions are on the way. Yes, he does indeed. And sacked for criticising Hamas. Former Labour Minister Lord Austin has been controversially suspended as the chair of a housing association after describing Hamas as Islamist rapists and murderers. Housing Minister Michael Gove has demanded an urgent explanation. And the families of the victims killed in the Nottingham triple murder by Valdo Kakelny have been left, quote, sickened after they learned that officers shared gruesome details of their loved ones' injuries to others using WhatsApp. Ben, have you seen this uh, mega poll mm. of Conservative voters? Nearly 14,000. 14,000 voters, and it finds that, guess who, Boris Johnson would win back voters lost under Rishi Sunak. So he's still there the he preferred is. choice, still. Bring back Bojo. He was, he was the golden boy, wasn't he, at the start in 2019? Massive election victory. But then uh, Conservative voters accused him of losing his head going down this deranged net zero path. Uh, yeah. And everything else. I mean, the polls found that just over half of those who voted Conservative in 2019, but who now intend to vote for a different party, would vote for Mr Boris Johnson again. There's something about him, isn't, he, isn't there? Well, uh, he's... Love uh, him or hate him. He, he's light... This is what his critics say. He's light on policy, but big on character. Is character enough to win a general election? Mm. Boris, of course, was the man who accused uh, Sir Keir Starmer of being a human bollard. <laughs> so, will it be enough? Well, this will Rishi... This one is actually a, a survey of, as you said, nearly 14,000 voters. Usually, sometimes these polls have about 200, 300 people. Yeah. So you can't really make big, draw big conclusions. But this one does show Boris Johnson. What do you think at home? Bring back Boris. Will he be enough to save the ailing Conservatives? GBviews at gbnews.com. But first, here's your headlines with Sam. Ben, Emily, thank you very much. It's two minutes past 12. Uh, the top story from the GB newsroom this afternoon. A major crime investigation is now underway in Bristol after three young children were found dead there. Officers responded to a welfare call and found the bodies of a boy aged seven, a three-year-old girl and a ten-month-old boy. A 42-year-old woman was arrested at the scene. She was then taken to hospital and is now in police custody. Forensic examinations are underway, we understand, to determine how those three children died. Police also say a local church has been opened for people to gather and to mourn, while community officers will remain in the area over the coming days. The widow of Alexei Navalny says that Russian authorities are deliberately withholding his body and she says that's until traces of nerve agent Novichok disappear from his system. 
In a message posted to social media in the last hour or so, Yulia Navalny vowed to continue his work, saying that she wanted to live in a free Russia. She also said that the reason for his death is known and the details of those responsible will soon be made public. Putin killed my children's father. Putin took away the most dear person I have ever had. I want to live in a free Russia. I want to build a free Russia. Well, that comes as Mr Navalny's mother and his lawyer were seen visiting the local prosecutor's office in the city near to where he died last week. But a spokesperson said they weren't allowed into the morgue where his body is believed to be being held, adding that they were literally pushed out. Back here in the UK, new guidance has been issued for teachers in England to allow the banning of mobile phones in schools. Head teachers can now choose to include a ban on phones in their school's behaviour policy, with provisions for searches if necessary. The union representing head teachers, though, says robust rules already exist, and they've dismissed the new guidelines as a non-policy for a non-problem, they say. But the Education Secretary, Gillian Keegan, told GB News this morning that the government is ensuring clarity and consistency exists across all classrooms. What we're trying to do is ch change the social norm, change the norm in our schools that, that phones are, are, are not acceptable in our schools. And, but some other countries have already done this, quite a few countries have already done this, and we just want to make sure that it's consistent and we make it clear and we empower head teachers to do this. And, and we think that mostly uh, this is something that parents would welcome. Well, we've heard today that a search is still underway in Leicester after a two-year-old boy fell into the River Saw. Emergency services responded just after five o'clock last night to an area near Marsden Lane. Leicestershire police are leading the ongoing operation there and have now deployed additional specialist teams to the area. Officers say rising water levels are presenting some danger and they're asking the public to keep away from the area. Two 15-year-old boys are to appear at a youth court in Bristol today, charged with the murder of a 16-year-old. Darian Williams was fatally stabbed in Rawnsley Park in the city. The attackers allegedly wore masks before fleeing the scene on bicycles on Wednesday. Avon and Somerset police have introduced enhanced stop-and-search measures and they've also launched a new operation targeting youth violence. We understand there will also be additional patrols outside schools and a mobile police station will be in the area over the coming days. That comes just weeks after the deaths of teenagers Mason Rist and Max Dixon, who were also stabbed in Bristol. A UK, car a UK cargo ship rather, in the Red Sea has been attacked by Yemen's Houthi rebels, forcing the crew on board to abandon it. The UK's Maritime Authority confirmed the ship sustained catastrophic damage in the missile attack off the coast of Yemen and, we understand, is now at risk of sinking. It comes as the EU prepares to launch a new mission to protect commercial ships in the region after the UK and the US also sent their military ships to the region in December. Attacks on vessels by the Houthis, who are being backed by Iran, are starting to have an economic impact by disrupting cargo ships between Asia and Europe. Lord Cameron will be arriving in the Falkland Islands later today in a high-profile demonstration that the islands are a valued part of the British family. The historic visit, the first by a foreign secretary since 1994, comes amid renewed Argentine calls for negotiations on the island's future. 
Lord Cameron has said that the sovereignty of the Falklands is non-negotiable, which he says is in line with the islanders' desire to remain British. For the latest stories, you can sign up to GB News Alerts by scanning the QR code on your screen or, of course, go to our website, gbnews.com alerts. Right, well, let's start with that brand new poll that shows Boris Johnson would bring back half of lost Tory voters and is the favourite to replace Rishi Sunak. It's almost hard to believe, isn't it, after all of this time that still so many Conservative voters, and note this was a survey of nearly 14,000 of them, would prefer Boris Johnson still to I've, replace I've been, Rishi Sunak. I, I was giggling in that news uh, segment because the emails are flying in. 50% of you say, yes, bring back Boris, we need him to save the Tories. The other half of you, absolutely furious at the idea. And actually, it, it is this poll, 14,000, well, nearly 14,000 Conservative members, as you just said, Emily, it's not just any old 100, 200 people poll with, you know, you can't really trust them. This is a mega poll of true die-hard Tories, so it's got to have some well, weight. Well, I imagine a lot of Conservative uh, voters, or party members at least, haven't forgiven Rishi Sunak for what they saw as a bit of a stabbing in the back. But let's speak to political correspondent Olivia Utley to bring us the latest analysis of this. Olivia, this big poll, 13,000-odd uh, Tory voters asked who they'd like to be leader. Lots of support still for Boris Johnson. Are you surprised? Lots of support for Boris Johnson. I'm not particularly surprised. I think that we always knew Boris Johnson was a real Marmite figure. There are plenty of people who absolutely loathe him and who can never forgive him for Partygate. But there are also plenty of people who think that he is the Conservative Party's only hope, possibly, at the next election. It was really interesting last week to hear Rishi Sunak asked about this. He did not rule out bringing back Boris Johnson in some capacity before the next election. And I've spoken to Conservative MPs on the back benches who would very much like to see that happen. They feel as though, and the, the polls back them up really, that Rishi Sunak is sort of hemorrhaging report, uh, support week by week. And lots of them suggest, quietly behind the scenes, that the Prime Minister, the current Prime Minister, just isn't very good at politics. Like him or loathe him, Boris Johnson is pretty good at politics. He won the Conservatives a huge majority of 80 seats when no one was expecting it. And there are people who think that perhaps he could pull off a, perhaps not the same feat this time around, but maybe, just maybe, snatch the Conservatives a victory from the jaws of the defeat. But, as you can see from your uh, email inbox there, for every person, for every Tory who loves Boris Johnson and think he's, thinks he's the answer to the Conservatives' problem, there is probably another who were, th who were thrilled to see the back of him and can't bear the idea of him making a comeback. Olivia, what do you think Boris would make of it all? I mean, he's earning a pretty penny doing speeches around the world and, you know, cashing in on his time as uh, PM. Do you think he'd be up for a big return? <laughs> I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, looking at it objectively, you see that the life that he's created for himself now, this mansion that he's got in Oxfordshire, he's got his lovely three little children who just seem to run around, according to Carrie's Instagram anyway, seem to just spend their time sort of running around the, the fields barefoot with his, uh, with his wife. He is making a lot of money on the uh, public speaking scene. He was always a very good sort of after-dinner speaker, and he's raking it in from that these days. 
you would think perhaps that he wouldn't like to come back and go back to the to the drudgery of being a politician or mm. the criticism that he got why would he put himself up for that again but those close to Boris Johnson say that he loved it. He liked being in power. He felt that there was a lot that he wanted to achieve that he never got to achieve because obviously his premiership was completely derailed by COVID. And there are those who say that he would like to restore his reputation and his legacy for future generations and that that is the most important thing yes, to him. Yes, I think, so I think he, if he felt... Wait sorry, Olivia, see. if he felt he had enough support, I think he'd uh, leap at the chance again to be Prime Minister. May I ask you about something else which has shocked me and perhaps there's more to this story um, that we haven't that hasn't been captured in the headlines but Lord Austin now he's been sacked former Labour Minister sacked from a role at a housing association accused of Islamophobia now from what I've seen he tweeted that Hamas were Islamist terrorists how has that been deemed Islamophobic well, I think that's a, a very good question, Emily. I, I've spoken to lots of people in Westminster who are very, very surprised about this. Lord Austin has been a, a real figurehead in the Labour fight back against anti-Semitism. He, uh, he was a Labour MP, but he was appointed by the government as a housing czar. He was seen as instrumental, really, in uh, trying to turn around the Labour Party during the Corbyn years. He was one of those brave MPs who stood up to their leader and ended up having to leave the party. Um, perhaps, as you say, Emily, there is more to this story than meets the eye, but everyone I've spoken to seems to be pretty outraged at the idea that the, the, the tweets that Lord Austin has been sacked for were anything like Islamophobia. I think we'll have to wait and see until we've got a little bit more information on this, but on the face of it, it does seem pretty shocking. Olivia, what do you make briefly of that Mail on Sunday story about Just Stop Oil plotting to occupy the houses of up to 100 MPs? I mean, we saw what, what uh, Paul Tobias Elwood went, went through last week when protesters, it was uh, Gaza protesters in this case, were, were gathered outside of his house while his two children and he were all inside. The idea that uh, protesters can start pro protesting uh, by MPs' houses, I think is very, very worrying for MP security. And I think there will be plenty of politicians who will be deeply concerned about that story uh, today. Remember, of course, in the last... 10 years. There have been two MPs who have been murdered. MP mm. security is a huge, huge issue. And the idea of protesters potentially uh, threatening that security, although, of course, there's no suggestion that these Just Stop Oil protesters could actually hurt these MPs. But the very idea of that security being damaged and also the idea of protesters, mm. uh, uh, you know, perhaps benign protesters uh, accidentally throwing a spotlight on any weaknesses in MP security for those who have more lie names, I think will be deeply, deeply worrying to a number of politicians yeah. and, of course, their families. Well, thank you very much indeed, Olivia Ratley, our political correspondent there in Westminster. See, the Just Stop Oilers would say this is them, uh, you know, this is their democratic right, this is democracy in action, but I actually think it has a chilling effect on democracy, intimidating our elected 
members of parliament. Who, who, sorry, who would want to be an MP for 85k a year when you've got the likes of Just Up Oil? I mean, we saw it with Greenpeace at Rishi Sunak's uh, house in Yorkshire, yeah. trampling all over his roof and his property when he was on holiday. Forget Rishi Sunak, his young daughters were in America watching that unfold live on television. Imagine what's going through their head when they come back to the UK seeing that's yeah. happening. Who'd want to be an MP yeah, I think for 85k a year when people you've got feel that going it's, uh, People think it's a uh, fair game. And a lot of people would say, well, that's, you know, nearly three times the... Uh, national average, but it comes with a lot of strings, let's say. But shall we move on, because we are going to be talking to Matt Vickers, MP. Yes, Deputy Chair of the Conservative Party. At the top of the agenda today in Parliament, uh, MPs are returning and they will respond to the death of vocal Putin critic Alexei Navalny. Yes, this all comes as Foreign Secretary Lord Cameron calls for there to be consequences against the Kremlin, calling the death an appalling human rights outrage. But just what exactly can the UK government do in response? OK, well, let's pose that exact question now to the Deputy Chair of the Conservative Party, Matt Vickers. Matt, haven't we done all we can so far? I mean, what else is there to do in terms of sanctioning Putin and Russia? I think we've got, we, well, I think we've done a hell of a lot by the looks of things, but in real terms, actually, you've got to pay tribute to the, the people of Russia who are making a stand against the horrible tyrant in what is clearly the most challenging circumstances. When you look at Navalny, uh, you look at what, what was an incredibly brave campaign. I'm sure that most of us wouldn't be uh, making our way back to Russia if we'd gone through some of the things that he's gone through in recent years. He had the, the bottle to call out Putin. He's had the bottle to call out corruption. The consequences are obviously horrendous and awful in the end. Uh, but, you know, sympathy to the people of Russia who are making a stand against this awful tyrant and some of the, the things that he's inflicted on the Russian people. I know it more widely. Um, I think, you know what, when you look at whatever we do has to be done in lockstep with international partners. A, you can't tell these guys you're coming for them in advance. But B, actually doing it alone, going it alone has no benefit. The reason what we did in Ukraine was so effective is because we came together with the broadest of coalition of international partners to deliver sanctions. The G7 delivered the most severe sanctions ever imposed on a major economy on Russia. That's where we've got to. That's where the dial is at the moment. We'll see these partners again. We'll come together with, well, we're seeing the G20 in Rio shortly. Uh, those conversations will be happening all the time to look at what more we can do to drive further sanctions have a bit more pain on the pockets of those people. But Matt, this is the this is the problem, though, isn't it? Because as I understand, Russia is now the most sanctioned country on earth, and yet Putin shows no signs of uh, well behaving as we would like him to. I think you're right. I think you know what? If there was an easy solution to this. We'd have done it. Um, but actually, 19,000 individuals and entities are currently being sanctioned. 20 billion pounds in Russian assets have been frozen. And we're going to have to turn the dial up again. We'll be working with those partners across the globe to look at what more we can do to drive some pain on those people who prop up Putin. Uh, and the reality is that this thing will only change because of brave people like Navalny, who made the stand, who stood up to, to, to this tyrant, stood up to the corruption, uh, and, and took the stand. And actually, the most horrendous of outcomes for him, uh, but it's on the Russian people now and those who are supporting Putin to make the change. Matt, can I ask you briefly about this damning new poll in the, the Telegraph about bringing back Boris Johnson, the only saviour of the Conservative Party, apparently? Uh, what do you make of that? Are we going to have a, a Boris return? So I, you know what, I, before, I, before I even said my view on the poll, actually, I was thinking Boris until till the end. I stood by him till the end. The people in my part of the world voted for him. I'm hopeful that the people in my part of the world are going to vote for Rishi. I think Rishi is the man for the times. When you look at some of the challenges that we face now, whether that be the issues in the NHS on the back of the pandemic, 
whether that be bringing inflation down on which has made huge progress, bringing it down from an excess of 11% down to 4%. It needs a bright guy. Can we, can we give Rishi a point for that? Inflation's gone down across the, the board. I think he has. I think there's responsible decisions to be made. He's a guy with principles. He's a guy who's getting on with the job. He's a bright fella. Um, and yeah, I'm behind him. And we're going to march on to that election. And we're going to see what comes. Um, but I think he's delivering all the things that people want to see at the moment. When I'm out on the doorstep. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What people want to hear is those MPs to stop talking about our own psychodrama in Westminster. Start talking to the public and dealing with the issues. Forward. Get behind the PM. Get on with the job. And just lastly, Matt, while I've got you, um, concerned to read that uh, Lord Austin has been sacked from a housing association over his comments on social media. He said uh, Hamas are a death cult of Islamist murderers and rapists. Should he have been sacked for that? Is that is Islamophobic? Is what he said inappropriate? I obviously don't know the ins and outs of it, but Hamas are a terrorist organisation who inflicted some of the worst atrocities possible on people. Um, and what the crux of the entire debate with Israel and Palestine is featured on people with very strong opinions on both sides. But whatever, I think both sides need to acknowledge that Hamas are terrorists uh, and we need to move forward and we can't move forward until they're, they're out of office. Well, thank you very much indeed, Matt Vickers. Great to speak to you, Deputy Chair of the Conservative Party. Thank you. Well... I admire his uh, loyalty to, to Rishi, despite being one of the few remaining uh, Boris loyalists before he finally fell on his sword. I just worry that when we're assessing whether sanctions work, and, of course, it's one of many tools when it comes to trying to, uh, you know, uh, change a, a rogue nation's behaviour, it doesn't seem as though they're having the desired effect. We've I mean, frozen we've... billions of assets, yeah. we've sanctioned oligarchs, we've sanctioned the Kremlin, yet it seems as though Putin just shifts his, you know, shifts his, uh, his position. And also, all, all, this, all this posturing about going to war with Russia, I think, is highly misguided. I, I love my country, I love Britain, I'm very patriotic, but let's be frank, what on earth is Britain going to do in a war against Russia? They, they, out, they outspend us, they outnumber us on all fronts. Yeah, well, I think we're right to stand, stand behind Ukraine as much as we can, but I am sceptical sometimes of, of how effective sanctions are. But let us know what you think. GBviews at gbnews.com. And should schools ban pupils from having mobile phones? Should teachers open pupils' bags, search for the mobile phone, take it out and ban it in schools? The government's to issue new guidance on this very issue. Yeah, this is Good Afternoon Britain on GB News, Britain's new channel. Stay with us.
I'm Christopher Hope. And I'm Gloria DiPiero, bringing you PMQ's Live here on GB News. Every Wednesday, we'll bring you live coverage of Prime Minister's Questions when Rishi Sunak and Sir Keir Starmer go head-to-head -head in the House of Commons. We'll be asking our viewers and listeners to submit the questions that they would like to put to the Prime Minister, and we'll put that to our panel of top politicians in our Westminster studio. That's PMQ's Live here on GB News, Britain's election channel. Farage, Monday to Thursday from 7pm. Lots of people have different ideas, mm -hmm. but principally a conservative approach to getting growth is to reduce taxes so that people, ordinary people and businesses can spend more of their own money to invest and grow the economy. So the theory is that you cut taxes and that then pumps more money exactly right. into the economy. Exactly right. Growth. And then people, you know, it's not government that are creating wealth. It's individuals, businessmen, companies that create wealth. It's the private sector that creates wealth, that the public sector then taxes and, and, and spends. I get the theory, but one of the criticisms of you, sure. and I think one of the criticisms actually of all political parties, is they appear to be incapable of cutting government spending. That's the key. I mean, and, and I think when I look back, is that we should have had a, a, a credible plan to reduce the increase in spending. Mm. Now, that's often a difficult concept to explain. But it's in line with inflation, etc. That's all right. So, yeah. so when, you, when, you, when you're slowing the increase, it means, you know, one year you spend £100, and the next year you spend maybe £101, as opposed to going up to £110. So the, the, the actual level isn't going down, but you're slowing the increase. And that's very much what mm. I tried to do. And actually, looking back, the one thing I wish we'd done, I'd done, was to present a credible spending uh, plan at the same time as the tax cuts that we, that we announced. You had a go. It didn't work out for whatever reason. For, yeah. and, 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 and that analysis will go on for some for years while, yes. to come. We have Jeremy Hunt uh, there as Chancellor now, hinting quite strongly now there won't be any tax cuts. But the truth of it is, under 14 years of Conservatives, for a variety of reasons, the tax burden has risen that's right. to the highest since the Attlee government way back yeah, in 80 years, 1951, years, whatever right. it is. 2024, a battleground year. The year the nation decides. As the parties gear up their campaigns for the next general election. Who will be left standing when the British people make one of the biggest decisions of their lives? Who will rise? And who will fall? Let's find out together. For every moment, the highs, the lows, the twists and turns. We'll be with you for every step of this journey. In 2024, GB News is Britain's election channel. Welcome back. It's 12.24. You're with Ben and Emily on Good Afternoon Britain on GB News. Emails flying in about Boris Johnson. Of course, pro and uh, against. Anthony says, if Boris and Nigel Farage would compromise, joined by Jacob Rees-Mogg and Lee Anderson to lead a new political party, I would put my life on them winning a 100-plus seat majority. Mm. Well, there you go. Guy says, please, please stop mentioning Boris. He's a clown and a traitor. <laughs> He's the one who wasted all those votes. And he goes on to mention things like net zero yep. and uh, also his failure on immigration. Uh, also says on Just Stop Oil, they're idiots and should be locked up for six months. So there you go. Thanks for your views, <laughs> uh, Guy. And Marion says, I used to support Boris Johnson, but he's gone 
woke. Um, and Jacqueline says, absolutely, bring back Boris. So there you go, a mixed bag. A yes. mixed bag on that one. Keep well, your views that, coming that's in. That's the thing, he, start, he started as a Conservative, and the argument is he went a bit wishy-washy liberal, but, um, yeah, we'll see. We move on. Although people do blame Carrie for that, which I think is a bit harsh. I think Boris Johnson has his own, well, you know has his own I, plans. I, and I, also his, his dad is very much an environmentalist, net zero um, supporter. Emily, I was going to mention Carrie, but then I thought I best not because I'll probably get accused of being sexist. Or I something. wanted to get in there first because actually Marion did uh, write in and say since his marriage he's become woke. But <laughs> I, think, I think there's more to it than that. Don't want to pin it on I'm her. I'm zipping it. I'm not sexist, saying anything. Should we move it, really? on, to, on to these things? Go on. Mobile phones. Schools across England uh, will review new guidance on banning their pupils from using mobile phones in class. Yes, the government hopes it will bring clarity and consistency to all classrooms and teachers should be prepared to conduct searches. Searches of their school bags, mm. yeah. But it's better than having to search for knives, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, quite true. Uh, the union representing head teachers says rules are already in place and this is a, quote, non-policy for a non-problem. But we're joined now by uh, Joe Hemmings, a behavioural psychologist who is an expert on all these things. Joe, I have a big question. What does it do to the young mind of a, a 10, 11, 12-year-old flicking through social media and getting those dopamine rushes every 10, 15 seconds? What does it do for someone's concentration and their focus in the classroom? Well, it's not great. Obviously, if they're using the phone in the classroom and they're scrolling through and they've got several apps open, as you say, they get the dopamine hit, but they also get the focus on the phone and they're not focusing on what's going on in the classroom. So... You know, what I feel is needed here is not a blanket ban on actually on anything that's legal. I think that's just wrong. I mean, 97% of children 12 and over have a mobile phone. I do think you could teach responsible usage of phone. And what you just said, Tom, about dopamine hits, that sort of thing should be taught in the classroom. This is why our phones are addictive. Um, and I just think that responsible usage of phones, understanding that you can control it rather than it controlling mm. you, is really important because if you ban them, it just makes them seem, you know, more more desirable. Because you know, and searching through kids' bags to find phones, it's all a bit unpleasant. You think it's a bit much. You think it's a bit. Much? I just worry that children don't have enough self-control, particularly with their peers, when they're sending things over WhatsApp, over Snapchat, over Instagram, over Twitter, whatever it is. There's probably other apps that we don't even know about mm. uh, that young people use. And there's so much pressure on them to, to, to use and instantly yeah, react. So if the teachers just say, no, once you enter the classroom, Phones are not allowed. We'll keep them in a locker for you. You can pick them up when you need to leave school or if there's an emergency. That seems like a pretty decent compromise that I think no, a lot of he head teachers would like. I, I totally agree. But, you know, given that mobile phones have been around for, what, 15, 20 years, most schools have already developed a protocol on this um, and different schools will have different protocols. And I think it's up to head teachers to decide what to do for their school. I just think it's blanket ban when sometimes a phone in a classroom actually can help um, with what's being taught. And I do think that that responsible usage so that they that we know how phones and kids work. We know they get obsessed with them. They know they can't put them down. But that, but this is not a new problem. The cork has been off the technological bottle for 15 years plus, it's been proposed five or six times by the government. I just feel it's down to individual schools. I do agree that they are addictive, and I do think it's actually part of the teaching curriculum should be, you know, why they're even thinking of banning them. This is what the phones do to you, and this is, you know, you know, a, way, a better way of kind of managing your self-control with a phone. 
Joe, I was absolutely stunned by this stat from Ofcom that 97% of 12-year-olds have a mobile phone. Is that an appropriate age for a kid to have a smartphone with access to the internet and all it entails? Well, I think we're very tempted to think of these phones as being evil things. Yeah, I do, because once they're 11, they generally tend to go to secondary school on their own. And that's the point at which they do want a phone. They do want to be able to tell their mum or dad or whoever they're going to be late, the bus didn't come or whatever's going on. They're doing, they've got detention because they've got a phone. Um, you know, there should be. So I totally understand why 97% of children have them. And that's what I mean about that cork being off the bottle. We, we make it out to be such an evil thing, the phone, that I think it just makes it more desirable for kids if, yeah. if you have a phone. I just don't know how children deal with it these days. I, if I cast my mind back to being a teenager when I had my phone and the amount of peer pressure, just seeing that there was a party on Facebook that you weren't invited to, seeing that your friends had been taking pictures and you weren't invited. Yeah. Or I remember one of my friends looking through my phone and my text messages to see if any boys had been messaging me and none had. <laughs> so I was, you know, hideously embarrassed. And of course, oh, that's, really. that's very minor. Of course, there's serious things that go on, like grooming and and actual yeah. proper bullying. But the thing is, when back in my day, if you get if you got bullied at school, you'd go home and that would be your sanctuary yeah. and your refuge. These days, I, yeah. I, I look at my niece. She, you know, she's got a WhatsApp group of friends and stuff, and it's constantly twenty four seven. You're getting bullied all the time. There's no escape from it. I agree. So that should be part of a discussion about responsible phone usage. Look, when you go on jury service or something, whatever, you have to have your phone locked away. If there are schools that say that must happen then that's OK. I just, it's the idea of this blanket ban. Yeah, you think it should be specific to the school. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Thank you so much for your time, Joe Hemmings. Really interesting to talk to you, behavioural psychologist. We're going to be debating this later in the show, actually, because we've got two that, very different views on this. I feel sorry that no boys were texting you in school. Yeah, I know, but when I went to a girls' school, so, you know, they were oh, few and far between. Yeah, yeah. the humiliation of not one boy sending you a text message. Poor you. I'm sure they're flooding you now, though. Well, there you go, yes, but I am engaged, so... Yeah, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> right, coming up, police officers in Nottingham have angered the families of three people fatally stabbed last year after reportedly sharing graphic details about the case. We're going to have more on that after your news headlines with Sam. Ben, Emily, thank you very much. It's just gone 12.31 and uh, we start this half hour with uh, some news coming to us from Bristol that a major crime investigation is now underway after three young children were found dead. Officers responded to a welfare call there and found the bodies of a boy aged seven, a three-year-old girl and a ten-month-old boy. A 42-year-old woman was arrested at the scene. She was then taken to hospital and uh, is still in police custody, we understand. Forensic examinations are now underway to determine how those three children died. Police say a local church has been opened in the area to help people to gather and mourn while community officers will remain in the area over the coming days. The widow of Alexei Navalny says Russian authorities are deliberately withholding his body until traces of the nerve agent Novichok disappear from his system, she says. In a message posted to social media, Yuli, Yulia Navalny vowed to continue his work, saying that she wants to live in a free Russia. She also said that the reason for his death is known and the details of those responsible will be made public. Alexei. 
Putin killed my children's father. Putin took away the most dear person I have ever had. I want to live in a free Russia. I want to build a free Russia. Well, that comes as Mr Navalny's mother and his lawyer were seen visiting the local prosecutor's office in the city near to where he died last week. But a spokesperson said they weren't allowed into the morgue where his body is believed to be held, adding that they were literally pushed out. And uh, we can take you live now to Bristol, where police are giving an update after the bodies of those three young children were found. In the river saw and we continue to use the helicopter and aerial technology to try and locate the little boy. Our priority for Leicestershire Police is to make sure that we, we find this little boy. I would like to thank members of the public for all their support yesterday, and, um, but at the same time, I would like to really emphasise how dangerous this area is at the moment and ask that members of the public do refrain from coming back to this location for their own safety. And also because, as I've said, we've got a very professional, a very coordinated search in place, and we wouldn't want anything to jeopardise the best opportunity we've got of locating this little boy. I am happy to take any questions, should anybody wish. child was with family at the time. I'm afraid I'm not able to share that at the moment, but we do know that he was with family at the time that he entered the river. I had heard... Apologies, could you say that again? The helicopter's very loud. Yeah, so as I've just said, uh, the child was with family members at the time that he went into the water. And we do know that one person went into the river saw in an attempt to try and, and get the child. But, but sadly, at this moment, we still haven't been able to find the child. Is that the person who's in hospital now? So there, there isn't anybody in hospital at the moment. Uh, an individual did go to the hospital yesterday as a precautionary measure. Um, and indeed, that's, um, that is linked to the rescue for the child. Police there uh, just giving an update on uh, the situation in Leicester after a two-year-old boy fell into the river saw. We were also expecting uh, an update from police from the incident in Bristol as well. When we get that, we will bring, bring it to you, of course, here on GB News. But just to update there what they've said, emergency services responded to the scene uh, in Leicester at around 5 o'clock last night uh, in the search for that missing toddler, two years old. And officers uh, are encouraging the public to, at the moment, uh, keep clear from that area. In the meantime, you can get more updates uh, by joining the GB News Alerts. Scan the QR code on your screen if you're watching on TV or, of course, listening on radio. You can go to gbnews.com alerts.
Join us every night on GB News at 11pm for Headliners, which is three top comedians going through the next day's news stories, which is exactly what you need, because when the establishment has gone crazy, you need some craziness to make sense of it. Headliners, you don't have to bother reading the newspaper, we've got it covered for you every night at 11pm and repeated every morning at 5am. We won't send you to sleep like some of the other paper review shows out there. So join us 11pm every night on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. The Camilla Tomini Show, Sunday mornings from 9.30. Yeah, I appreciate the story isn't in today's papers, but it has been running all week, and it's yes. this row over um, the use of nitrogen hypoxia to kill this man who was on death row in... Um, Alabama. Alabama, yeah. And it's been linked back to you, and I wanted to ask you about it because this is intriguing, because you did a television show back in 2015 where you, I believe, tested this method of execution. Just tell me briefly about it, Michael. What happened? I didn't test this method of execution, and it was a bit longer ago than that. But what I did do was test hypoxia. So for I, I tested various ways in which people uh, are killed in the United States, and and asked the question as to whether there was a hum more humane way of doing it. So I was put into hypoxic situations, for example, into a chamber run by the Netherlands Air Force, which simulated what happens if you're in an aircraft at 30,000 feet and suddenly the windows blow out. And what happened to me was that I was almost instantly rendered incapable. Uh, as an experiment, I was trying to play with children's toys, putting triangle shapes into triangle spaces. And I'm I was quickly unable to do that. I was asked, what is 9 minus 5? And I said, 5. Mm -hmm. And then the, um, the officer who was with me, the uh, Air Force officer, who was wearing an oxygen mask, said to me, Michael, put your mask on or you will die. And I was incapable of putting my own mask on. Now, this suggested that hypoxia was very fast-acting yeah. and that you had... Obviously, I was in no pain or anything no. like that. I was just completely unaware. By the way, this is why if you're on an aircraft and, and it depressurizes, you must put your own mask on first. But of okay. course, I can't, I can't go on and draw conclusions. No. We, we did not experiment with nitrogen. But what I can say is it was, it was evident to me that hypoxia renders you incapable almost instantaneously. I think the most exciting bit for me is talking to people. People who I think are ignored often by the major news channels, we're going to give news they want to hear. There's a voice there that needs to be heard. I think there's a chance here for a diversity of opinion to be expressed, which you don't find elsewhere. It's really exciting. We don't hold back. We're free to say how decisions that are taken here affect us all around the country. Only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's News Channel. It's 12.39. You're watching and listening to Good Afternoon Britain on GB News. Now, the families of the three people who were stabbed to death in Nottingham last year are reportedly now sickened to learn that police officers shared graphic details of their loved one's injuries in a WhatsApp group. Yes, Barnaby Webber and Grace O'Malley Kumar, both aged 19, and Ian Coates were killed by Valdo Kakone last June. Now, last month, he was convicted of manslaughter by reason of diminished responsibility, sentenced to an indefinite detention in a high-security hospital. But the question is, is this appropriate for police officers to be using, using WhatsApp and sharing the gory details, essentially, mm. of three murders? Yeah, we've seen it before, haven't we, in cases in London. But we're joined now by Norman Brennan, who's a former Met police officer and now the director of the Law and Order Foundation. 
Norman, I'm just going to play, I mean, devil's advocate here. Of course, this story is terrible. What the, what the officers did is absolutely reprehensible. However, is there a case for police forces to maybe deal with the constant exposure of officers to grisly scenes, to murder scenes, car crashes? What kind of effect does that have on an officer? Does it desensitise them, which then causes them to go and commit um, uh, incidents like this? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Not really at all. Um, in my 31 years, <laughs> uh, I attended dozens of um, suicides. Uh, the devastation was horrendous. Uh, mm -hmm. We picked up devastation. We then had to deal with the families in the aftermath. Um, and yeah, we do get slightly desensitized. It's, it's, it's a bit like stabbings at the moment. The whole country is desensitized because the news is so prevalent. Mm -hmm. It's all daily now murder. So people become impotent to the shock. And police officers, because they deal with serious and devastating crime almost every day of their life, they do become a, de a bit desensitised, but it doesn't take away that you've got to be act with passion uh, and also professionalism. I mean, I personally have dedicated the last 35 years of my life to looking after the devastation of families mm. of homicide. I've met up to a 1,000 families, people like Denise Bolger, Sarah Payne, Damalola Taylor, and even mm. the victims of uh, Myra Hindley and Ian Brady. And I know that if they knew that there were photographs taken and shared around by police and their friends, um, they would have been further hurt, further harmed, and it would leave a long-lasting thought that even the police couldn't respect them, yeah. what the majority of the police do. Mm. Yeah, and that's what the victims' families have said. Emma Weber, who was the mother of Barnaby Weber, one of the victims, says, uh, we can't emphasise how painful this tragedy is and to learn that there has been internal needless voyeurism of the vicious knife attacks on our loved ones is unforgivable. That's what it seems like, doesn't it? Needless voyeurism. And, of course, they weren't just sharing the images in their own internal WhatsApp group. There's reports that one of the members, one of the police officers, forwarded it to his wife and a friend, sharing the gory details with people who aren't even police officers. It, it, what, what are they playing at? Well, it's grotesque and absolutely unacceptable. The only cold comfort is, is just like uh, the murderer uh, that was once a police officer, uh, David Carrick, that was once a police officer, these two individuals committed such horrific crimes that it shocked 
even us, the police family. So the cold comfort is, is almost without exception, and unfortunately, you have highlighted the exceptions, and there was also a couple in relation to two ladies that were murdered in the Met area. Mm. Police do not take photographs. They do not share photographs. And in fact, when I was a detective, I attended sudden deaths. The uniform officers would call me, or suspicious deaths. Never once did I think about taking a photograph or sharing uh, yeah. any details like that with any of my friends or associates. If I felt that photographs needed to be taken, which they often were, I called the scenes of crimes officer. They're the professional. They're the ones that should be taking photographs. And all I can say to the British Police Service is this, is look, you have got to act exemplary. You're under, you're under the headlights day in and day out. Yeah. What you say, what you do, how you act, you have got to be exemplary on and off duty and you do not share social media items that you yourself may well arrest someone for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope, that this, let's hope that this serves as a warning to other police officers to not even consider doing the same in the future. Thank you very much. Great to speak to you, Norman Brennan, a former Met Police officer and director of the Law and Order Foundation. OK, in a statement to the Daily Telegraph, Deputy Chief Constable Steve Cooper of Nottinghamshire Police said, uh, our force's professional standards directorate found one message posted on a WhatsApp group and took action immediately. So there you go. What's, that's what they have to stay, say, say. Uh, but still to come, a hospital claims, I can't believe this, claims milk from trans women who were born male is just as good for babies <laughs> as the milk from a woman's breast. Can that be true? We'll find out. You're watching Good Afternoon Britain on GB News. I think the most exciting bit for me is talking to people. People who I think are ignored often by the major news channels. We're going to give news they want to hear. There's a voice there that needs to be heard. I think there's a chance here for a diversity of opinion to be expressed, which you don't find elsewhere. It's really exciting. We don't hold back. We're free to say how decisions that are taken here affect us all around the country. Only on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Good afternoon, Britain. Weekdays from midday. Elon Musk has announced that the first patients to receive a groundbreaking brain implant from Neuralink is recovering well. This is all a bit odd. Uh, the product, called Telepathy, uses a robot to surgically place a computer chip in a region of the brain that controls... Movement. Hmm. Yes, Elon Musk says that the first goal is to enable people to control a phone or a computer just by thinking. He says that initial tests show promising signs of brain activity, meaning that patients with paralysis could one, one day overcome their conditions. Hmm, not sure about this one. Joining us to discuss this breakthrough is applied futurist Tom Cheesewright. Tom, this sounds, uh, well, slightly terrifying. <laughs> I certainly think a lot of people will be thinking this is something out of a sci-fi horror rather than reality. But this is a technology that's been a long time coming. We've been developing direct brain computer interfaces for a long time, mostly for the sort of therapeutic reasons that are the initial goal, at least, of Elon Musk's Neuralink, to allow people who are perhaps quadriplegic to have direct control via their brains of initially a smartphone uh, and maybe ultimately artificial limbs or a wheelchair. 
It does seem fascinating how quickly this technology is moving on. I, I saw demonstrations perhaps a year or two ago of people playing a very simple pong game just by thinking, moving sort of one uh, line on a screen up and down. This seems like potentially there has been a breakthrough that means far more complex things can be controlled just by thinking. Well, there's lots of different aspects to this technology. The initial attempts to interface with the brain use actually quite thick prongs almost that went into the brain and they were quite solid and so if the brain moved they could potentially cause damage. I'm Christopher Hope and I'm Gloria DiPiero bringing you PMQ's live here on GB News. Every Wednesday we'll bring you live coverage of Prime Minister's questions when Rishi Sunak and Sir Keir Starmer go head to head in the House of Commons. We'll be asking our viewers and listeners to submit the questions that they would like to put to the Prime Minister and we'll put that to our panel of top politicians in our Westminster studio. That's PMQ's live here on GB News, Britain's election channel. Welcome back. It's 12.48. You're watching and listening to Good Afternoon Britain. Just a quick note on the previous story we were talking about, about the police officers sharing um, graphic details. It was graphic details of the killings in Nottingham rather than uh, images. I think they misspoke there. Graphic details, which uh, one could say is, is just as bad. Right, well, let's get something a bit lighter. Where we have a bit of good news. Uh, the Prince of Wales, he's announced plans to build homes on the Duchy of Cornwall land to tackle homelessness in the southwest of England. Working alongside homelessness charity St Petrox, the project will provide 24 new homes in Newquay with, quote, wraparound support for local people experiencing homelessness to create a path to a permanent home. Right, let's speak to GB News Royal Correspondent Cameron Walker, who has the details for us. I remember hearing about this initially, and now it's happening. Yeah, exactly, Emily. I think this has been a long time coming for the Prince of Wales. He first visited homeless shelters in London with his mother, Princess Diana, and it really has been a passion of his um, ever since he's become a working member of the royal family, in particular now that he's Prince of Wales and has access to 130,000 acres across the country, mainly in the southwest of England, which is worth £1 billion. That is the Duchy of Cornwall, of course. So this is uh, the first official announcements um, of a phase of new affordable homes to be built. Uh, on duchy lands, 24 as you say, but I think it's the wraparound support that goes with it is the most significant here. That wraparound support um, includes mental health support, uh, counselling services, training and employment opportunities because people at risk at homelessness, um, which has been kind of said by a lot of charities the Prince of Wales work with, uh, they do tend to have mental health issues or problems with addiction or, or, or need employment. So that's kind of the idea. 24 homes doesn't sound very much, does it? But it is understood that there are a number of other projects in the pipeline which will create hundreds more homes uh, around the country as well. Last year, Prince William launched Homewards, which is his five-year uh, campaign project worth £3 million to prove that homelessness can be ended. And the idea with this new place in uh, Nansledden, which is a suburb of Newquay, and the six uh, locations for Homewards around the country, is they're going to be kind of blueprints to uh, demonstrate how homelessness can be ended why, um, with with business, businesses and councils working together, which can then be rolled out across the country. But clearly, it's not just Prince William who can solve this by himself. He needs a lot more people on board. No, but it's great to have him mm. as an advocate. Thank you very much, Cameron Walker, our Royal Correspondent. Good stuff. Now, fury has been sparked after a leaked letter from an NHS trust revealed drug-induced milk from transgender women, biological men, 
is just as good for babies as a woman's breast milk, with medical director uh, describing both types as human milk and not women's milk, adding that they're the ideal food for infant babies. Well, joining us now is political commentator and author Tonya Buxton. Tonya, when I read this headline, I thought, goodness me, I mean, a lot of women are going to be fuming. At this. Well, well, it's it's you know what what really worries me is that when you've had a baby, everything is about the baby. When you're pregnant, when I, I wrote a book actually on holistic pregnancy called Have a Baby and Look Better Than Ever, and I wrote that book ooh, 28 years ago. And nothing's changed since then in the sense that everything you do as a pregnant woman is for your baby. I wouldn't take any form of medication at all, not a single thing because I was worried about it crossing the placenta. And whilst I was breastfeeding my four children, I would be very, very careful about the food I took in. You know, I would never take any time of pharmaceutical unless it was absolutely necessary. So to just have this, so just so we can make someone feel good about their lifestyle choices, because what it is, is they are trying to pump these poor newborns uh, full of drugs, because that's what they are being pumped full of. A man cannot breastfeed a child with yeah. nutritious milk, full stop. Yeah, so what they're doing is they're using them as guinea pigs. Mm. Tonya, what they have to do, as you've alluded to, is take a cocktail of powerful drugs, one being uh, a drug called uh, metillium, which on the label says may cause heart problems for not only the, uh, the person taking it, but of course the, uh, the newborn as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's insane. So if you've got a biological male who has is taking testosterone blockers mm. in order to be able to grow breasts, and so look, there's lots of estrogen and progesterone that they'll have to take in order to try and make breast tissue in order to grow this. And then, as you said, there's a whole cocktail of other drugs that we just don't know what they do. So you've got to think about it. If you are breastfeeding a male baby with testosterone blockers and lots of estrogen and progesterone, synthetic hormones, what is that going to do to the baby? Mm. What is that doing to it? And just very quickly, Tonya, just yes. very quickly, because we're running out of time, sadly, but um, some yeah. would say this is progress. This is the power of science. This is a good thing. Complete idiots would say that who are using babies as guinea pigs in order to justify lifestyle choices. It's wrong on every single level. Well, there you go. Strong stuff. Tonya Buxton, always great to speak to you, political commentator and author. And do you know what? It's no, it's no surprise that it was the uh, University Hospital's NHS Sussex Trust. Sussex, of course, uh, being home to Brighton, mm. where I live near, probably the wokest city in the UK. It was no surprise when I saw it was Sussex uh, leading the charge on this. I just think a lot of women will read this and think... OK, well, so women are just redundant. So what, what an insult to women. We're just redundant. What an insult to women who... Don't even need the go, breast milk Who anymore. go through pregnancy, they put their bodies on the line, and even after pregnancy, mm. breastfeeding's a big deal for women. Some women can't do it. It's a, it's a very laborious process, but there we go. Well, now let us know what you think. GBviews at gbnews.com. But coming up, should we bring back Boris, we're asking, because a massive survey of Conservative voters says that they would like... Uh, Boris Johnson to come back to office. Uh, could he actually decide to? We'll be discussing that and much more after the break. A brighter outlook with Bob Solar, sponsors of weather on GB News.
Hello, Alex Bergil here again with your latest GB News weather forecast. There is some pretty unsettled weather to come as we go through this week, but for the time being, it's largely fine because we've been under the influence of high pressure to the south of the UK, which has quietened our weather down. So although we did see a bit of rain earlier on in the day, through the afternoon, there's been plenty of dry and at times sunny weather. However, cloudy, wet and windy weather spilling across Scotland as we go through the night. Further south and elsewhere, staying mostly dry, but thickening cloud from the west. The best chance of any clearer skies will be across eastern areas. Here temperatures taking a bit of a dip in some prone rural spots getting into low single figures, so perhaps a fresher start tomorrow morning than it has been recently. Otherwise, through the day tomorrow, a spell of wet and windy weather then spilling its way across parts of Scotland, Northern Ireland, and later pushing their way into parts of northern and northwestern England and Wales. In the southeast, though, here it should stay largely dry, with the rain not arriving until the overnight period. It is again going to be mild, highs of around 14 or 15 Celsius in the southeast, something a little bit fresher starting to push in from the northwest behind the front. Then into Wednesday, and this is when we're likely to see the heaviest rain and some strong blustery winds. The wettest weather likely to be across parts of the southwest. Here we're likely to see some disruption with some flooding possible as well as some issues on the roads. More unsettled weather to come as we go through later this week and into the weekend. Bye-bye. That warm feeling inside from Boxed Boilers, sponsors of weather on GB News. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens with our team of dedicated journalists across the UK. We're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Lee Anderson's Real World, Fridays from 7pm. Dr Jane Jones, who's the clinical lead for Care After Combat. Yeah. Jane, thanks for coming. And uh, just tell me a little bit about your organisation. What do you do? OK, well, thank you for having me here so we can talk about Care After Combat. So we are an organisation, a charity, who work into the prison system, working with military veterans who've somehow got involved with the justice system and... So there's, there's quite a high population of, of ex-service men and women in our prisons. Why is that, do you think? So 2014, the government did a review of who was resident in UK prisons and what they found were that military veterans are the highest occupational group. And this obviously raises some concerns. Yeah. So the government wanted to do something about that. And so they supported Care After Combat initially, just as a scoping exercise, really, to see if there was any way we could help these men and women at actually, you know, understand the problems that led to offending behaviour yeah. and go on to lead successful lives. So what sort of offending behaviour are we talking typically for, for people that's in prison that's actually served in our armed forces? Primarily it's uh, violence. Yeah. So that is the highest offence that, that we work with. Okay. But of course the military, as with everybody else, it's the full range of offending behaviour. Okay, so we're in a pub, Jane, Dr Jane. Uh, and I guess for some people, you know, the old tip of alcohol is good, uh, yeah. a bit of fun uh, of a weekend, relax, let your hair down. But for some people, alcohol is not always their best friend. And I guess that plays a, plays a part in some of your veterans that end up inside. Yeah. Absolutely. So, speaking from my own experience, a good two-thirds of the people I work with have some kind of mental health problem or mental health yeah. difficulty, struggling to either adapt into yep. civilian life or with some of the traumas they've experienced during service. People might self-medicate with alcohol to manage some of those thoughts and feelings. Yeah. 
Your weekend starts here with Friday Night Live with me, Mark Dolan, 8 till 9 on GB News. Big stories, big guests and big laughs as we get you ready for a cracking weekend. That's Friday Night Live with Mark Dolan. Fridays 8 till 9 on GB News. Bring your own drinks. The admission's free. Have a great Saturday night with me, Leo Curse, on this Saturday Night Showdown. It's a crazy world out there, so come and make fun of it with me, my panel of comedians, and a couple of people who actually know what they're talking about. This Saturday Night Showdown is your front row ticket to the clown show. Every Saturday, only on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Good afternoon, Britain. It's one o'clock on Monday, 19th of February. Warning to the Kremlin. Britain will take action over the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, warns David Cameron, as MPs return to the House of Commons today. But with sanctions already in place, what does holding Putin to account actually look like in practice? And sacked for criticising Hamas. Former Labour uh, Minister Lord Austin has been controversially suspended as the chair of a housing association after describing Hamas as, quote, Islamists, rapists and murderers. Housing Minister Michael Gove has demanded an urgent explanation. And militant environmental campaign group Just Stop Oil is reportedly planning a series of protests at the homes of MPs. They're known for targeting major roads, museums and sporting events, but they're now going to take their action to the doorsteps of elected politicians. Is this democracy? Yes, and you've been getting in touch uh, about a myriad of stories today, not least including Boris Johnson. It's going wild uh, in the inbox. But a few particular emails about mobile phones in schools. Mark, good afternoon to you, Mark. He says, pupils are in school to listen to and focus on what the teacher is teaching. The standard of secondary slash academy education on the UK, in the UK is already very poor. Yeah, and we spoke to a behavioural psychologist earlier um, in the hour, and she was saying that uh, teachers should speak to children about and just teach them about, um, you know, when mobile phone use can go wrong and some of the harms and potential uh, bad things that can happen. But Jeff says, so you want to discuss with 10 and 11 year old kids about the harm of mobile phone use? Good luck with that. You just have to tell them phones are banned. And if parents need to contact their kids or vice versa, then do it through the school instead. I would tend to agree with you there, Jeff. I think it's all well and good having very worthy conversations about the potential harms, but at 10, 11, 12 years old, children, I think... They're probably not going to get it. You can't just listen to what they have to say, can, can we you? not have a compromise where they go to school with, uh, as what some people call the old bricks? Do you remember the Nokia mm. 3310s? No access to the internet, just a phone. Can you imagine, though, because there'll always be one child who has the, the latest top-of-the-range phone and then there's uh, all hell breaks loose. But Jan says a blanket ban on phones would put my 12-year-old grandson at risk. He suffers from severe allergies and has an EpiPen phanophylaxis. He needs to be able to contact the emergency services. That's a very good point, but I would assume that a school would be able to make uh, special arrangements well, again, for children who Again, have... in that case, just use the brick. No internet access, but you can make calls, so that would solve that problem. That would solve it if they still sell those. Yeah. Perhaps on Amazon. Anyway, let's get your news headlines. Ben, Emily, thank you very much. It's just coming up to three minutes past one, and we start with some breaking news. 
A man who piloted a boat across the English Channel has today been found guilty of manslaughter. It's after four migrants drowned when that boat ran into difficulty in December of 2022. Ibrahim Abar, who's a Senghalese migrant, claimed that he had sailed boats before, which meant that he was allowed to make the journey free of charge. While others on board paid thousands, the judge today said the boat was navigated using only mobile phones. And as a result of his actions, four people lost their lives. We will, of course, keep across that story for you throughout the rest of this afternoon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A major crime investigation is underway in Bristol after three young children were found dead. Officers responded to a welfare call and found the bodies of a boy aged seven and a three-year-old girl and a ten-month-old boy. A 42-year-old woman was arrested at the scene and she was then taken to hospital. We understand she is still in police custody. Forensic examinations are now underway to determine how those three children died. Police have also said a local church has been opened for people to gather and mourn while community officers will remain in the area over the coming days. In other news, the widow of Alexei Navalny has said that Russian authorities are deliberately withholding his body until traces of the nerve agent Novichok disappear from his system. In a message posted to social media earlier, Yulia Navalny vowed to continue his work, saying that she wants to live in a free Russia. She also said that the reason for his death is known and the details of those who are responsible will be made public. Putin killed my children's father. Putin took away the most dear person I have ever had. I want to live in a free Russia. I want to build a free Russia. It comes as Navalny's mother and his lawyer were seen visiting the local prosecutor's office in the city near to where he died last week. But a spokesperson said that they weren't allowed into the morgue where his body is believed to be, adding that they were literally pushed out, they say. In Leicester, a search has been expanded after a two-year-old boy fell into the River Saw. Emergency services responded just after five o'clock last night to an area near Marsden Lane. Leicestershire police are leading that ongoing operation in the area and have now deployed additional specialist teams. Officers say rising water levels, though, are presenting some danger and they've asked the public to keep away from the area. 
New guidance has been issued today for teachers in England to allow the banning of mobile phones in schools. Head teachers can now choose to include a ban on phones in their school's behaviour policy, with provisions for searches if necessary. The union representing head teachers, though, says robust rules already exist and they've dismissed the guidelines as what they've called a non-policy for a non-problem. Well, earlier, the Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said that the government is ensuring clarity and consistency exists across all classrooms. What we're trying to do is ch change the social norm, change the norm in our schools that, that phones are, are, are not acceptable in our schools. And But some other countries have already done this, quite a few countries have already done this, and we just want to make sure that it's consistent and we make it clear. And we empower head teachers to do this. And, and we think that mostly uh, this is something that parents would welcome. Well, we've uh, heard today that a UK cargo ship in the Red Sea has been attacked by Yemen's Houthi rebels, forcing the crew on board that ship to abandon it. The UK's Maritime Authority confirmed the ship sustained catastrophic damage in a missile attack off the coast of Yemen and is now at risk of sinking, we understand. It comes as the EU prepares to launch its new mission to protect commercial vessels in the Red Sea after the UK and the US also sent their own military ships to the region in December. It comes as attacks on vessels by the Houthis, who were backed by Iran, are starting to have an economic impact by disrupting cargo shipments between Asia and Europe. And finally, the average asking price for a home in Britain has now jumped by more than £3,000 this month. According to the property website Rightmove, falling mortgage rates and more stable conditions in the market are driving that surge, meaning the average house is now worth just over £362,000. However, agents are warning sellers to set attractive asking prices before potential pre-election jitters. The momentum in the market comes as sales agreed in the first six weeks of this year are up 16% on the same period last year. For the latest stories, you can sign up to GB News Alerts by scanning the QR code on your screen or, of course, go to our website, gbnews.com alerts. Now, the government is currently assessing its response to the, to the death of jailed uh, Vladimir Putin critic Alexei Navalny. Lord Cameron has suggested there could be more sanctions on Russian officials as Shadow Foreign Secretary David Lammy called on the government to review sanctions and undertake new efforts to target those responsible for corruption. Yes, well, joining us now in the studio is our reporter Charlie Peters, who's been following this closely. Charlie, lots of talk of additional sanctions, crackdown on corruption. What might this mean in practice? Well, in the last hour in Brussels, the EU's foreign policy chief, Josep Borrell, has indicated to reporters there that there could be fresh sanctions from the EU on the Russian regime, indicating in particular that that might take the form of targeting those within the institution of the penitentiary system in Russia, suggesting that there is some European awareness and security knowledge on those involved with the death of Alexei Navalny last week. That could also include the possible links of any FSB agents, that is, the the heir, the successor to the KGB inside Russia. We do know from reports out of Russia that FSB agents did visit Navalny in prison two days before his death. And there are also some reports we haven't been able to verify that they turned off listening devices and CCTV equipment inside that penal colony in the Baltics. 
So David Cameron, the Foreign Secretary, is expected to echo those calls with fresh sanctions from Britain. And the shadow Foreign Secretary, David Lammy, has also today called on Britain to review its sanctions list. And in particular, he's referred to this list called the Navalny list, the Navalny 35. And this is a collection of kleptocrats and corrupt actors within Russia that the now deceased activists said were involved in the regime, calling on the government to take a look at that avenue as well. He also went one step further, David Lammy. He said that Britain had become the money laundering capital of the world. Look particularly towards London, saying that if we're going to clean up this situation, we also need to get rid of dirty money outside of the capital. But Charlie, haven't we, um, and well, not just us, haven't nations across the world in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine already done all they can in terms of seizing assets from oli mm. uh, oligarchs? Uh, and essentially what that does, of course, is um, it loses support uh, for Putin. Haven't we done it in all we can on that front? Well, there's been no shortages of sanctions on Russian actors over the last two years in particular. Spot on, Ben. But the problem that they have as a consequence of these sanctions is that Russia is still earning plenty of money through the sale of its energy products, in particular in Germany, where, of course, there is a significant energy shortage as a consequence of the start of this war in Ukraine. But other actors inside Europe who are engaged with supporting Ukraine do point towards significant areas where there could be improvements from the international diplomatic and security establishment, in particular pointing towards the supply of arms, the $60 billion aid package currently held up in Congress in Washington, but also pointing towards the failure for European nations to ramp up mm. their production of weaponry. If we can't prevent Russians from being killed inside Russia, then critics say we might be able to reduce Russia's violent impact outside of its own borders. At the moment, there has been a swing towards Russian military support in the last week. They achieved their first major victory in over a year in an eastern town just north of Donetsk. They had a manpower advantage, according to some reports, of 15 to 1 and overwhelming artillery support. Mm. The supply of arms towards the Ukrainian military, according to to European officials is going to be vital in showing support towards Ukraine. And many hope that the sad demise of leading critic Navalny may actually remove uh, some of the blockages towards that support and could see a greater impetus on supporting the Ukrainian military. Well, thank you very much indeed. Charlie Peters, our reporter there, bringing us the latest. There's a problem with sanctions, isn't it? Because Russia may well have few allies when it comes to the West. But it does have allies elsewhere in the world. Mm. I remember when uh, Roman Abramovich... To whom Abramovich, they continue selling. I remember when Roman Abramovich had his yachts seized all over the world. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if they can do more on that front, great. But you do wonder now, with this death of Navalny, it's only going to strengthen the case, as Charlie said, for more um, aids to Ukraine. Well, we shall see. Um, Just Stop Oil activists, though, are reportedly planning to occupy the homes of MPs before the next general election. Yes, the environmental campaigners are notorious for blocking roads, defacing artworks and interrupting theatre shows and snooker championships, of course. But they're now said to be preparing to target elected politicians. Let's speak to Dr Bing Jones, who's a spokesperson for Just Stop Oil. Dr Bing, a couple of questions. Do you support the targeting of politicians' homes? Uh, and if you do, what do you think gives you the right to go and trample on a private person's property? Not least, people who are most at risk from attacks and even murder, as we've seen in the last couple of years. 
Look, um, nobody wants to disturb anybody unnecessarily. And these reports in the, uh, the mail on Sunday are really kind of exaggerated. Uh, I think that we're going to target politicians because politi politics is failing, you guys. Look, you're not concentrating. Did you notice that in your own news bulletin just recently, there's a disruption because of flooding on the traffic thing, and then there's a tragic thing about a little boy possibly being washed away in the River Saw. You're not What's that got to do with climate change, Dr Bing? <laughs> I, I, I really don't know where to start. I'm sorry, what, what's the, a two-year-old faced... boy falling into a river got to do with climate change and global well, temperatures? Were you, what, were, you, were you concentrating, Ben? Were you looking at the screen? The screen obviously the had the river overflowing onto the, onto the path. The little boy, if he... Let's hope to God he's all right. But you can't, but you can't blame lost. that on climate change. Where's your evidence to say that that river overflowing was because of climate change and not, say, blocked drains? Ben, that's pathetic. We've had every single month from May, so. June, July, right through until, until January, mm. has been the hottest month ever. Every single one. The sea is boiling. Every single The sea is boiling, agency, Dr Bing. Dr. Bing, the do you know, do you, do you know what? It's hotter than it's ever been. And it's hotter by an enormous jump. Don't... Every single agency mm. which is not funded by fossil fuels, which is not associated with the profits of fossil fuels, everybody says yeah. we're in deep Dr. trouble. Bing, and your audience, Dr. Bing, I understand Emily, your strength of feeling on this matter. Of course I do. But I think we've got to get back to the discussion point here. The idea that Just Stop Oil activists are planning to target our politicians homes. Now, they may not agree with a politician's stance on a particular issue. Perhaps it's oil and gas exploration or something else. But what gives activists of Just Stop Oil the right to target people's own private homes? That is outrageous abuse, is it not? Uh, quite, quite, quite the opposite. People have targeted uh, politicians since time immemorial. And you say you think it's fine? that politicians are paid to act. And we've had 30 years of not acting on the biggest problem that there has ever been. You well, guys that's are not, That's not true, no, Dr. Dr. Bing. You may, you may want... You guys are You may young. want more you action. Be... You may want more action, but the UK has been very strong compared to other countries around the world in terms of reaching that net zero goal, in terms of pursuing it. I believe we were the first to even write it into law. So I think saying, oh, the government hasn't done anything is just nonsense. That it's not nonsense. The government has not done anything at the scale and pace that's required. And in fact, what they're doing is making it worse. Look, if you've got a problem, before you can make it better, first, you've got to stop making it worse. And what our government has done and what the Labour Party is planning to go on doing is licence more oil and gas. That's just going to you know make what, the Dr. problem Bing? worse. You behave, just stop oil, behave a little bit like fascists. They have the idea that they have this vision for the world and anyone else's opinion means nothing. When actually, in Emily, a democracy, in a democracy, you have a plurality of opinion. It's up to our elected representatives to represent the public. People have very different views on net zero and how to get there, more importantly. And so you can't just, you know, harass MPs in their homes where their children may be, where their wives or husbands may be, and essentially create this intimidation. Emily, politicians have failed. 
They failed to act for 30 years on the biggest problem that even Mrs. Thatcher was really eloquent about 30 years ago. We're failing. This is the biggest problem that humanity's ever faced. On that point, you're saying it's the biggest, uh, the biggest um, situation humanity has ever faced. Let me reel you off some predictions from yesteryear. So in the year 2000, Dr David Viner of East Anglia University, a, Simon, uh, a climate scientist, said that within a few years, winter snowfall will become a, quote, very rare and exciting event. Children just won't know what snow is. In 2004, a report from the Pentagon said Britain would be plunged into a Siberian climate by 2020. And in June 2018, your friend Greta Thunberg fired off an urgent tweet. She said, a top cli uh, climate scientist is warning that climate change will wipe out all of humanity unless we stop using fossil fuels over the next five years. She deleted that tweet last year. What do you say to that? Ben, anybody can find any opinion that they want uh, online. But why, would, why should we listen but... to your predictions when they're always wrong? That's the point, Dr Bing. <laughs> Look, you don't need to be a, a, a climate scientist. You just need to be an ordinary person sticking your head out of the window, trying to get insurance for a business, trying to find a roofer to fix your roof. People, ordinary what? people are aware things are really bad. We're not doing enough about it. And we have got to just stop oil. Dr. Not Bing, guys. I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. I've been looking after people all my life with very serious diseases. And I can tell you, if you've got cancer, you don't want to be cold, told you've got cancer. If you've got to go and have a really big operation, you don't want to be told. Dr. Bean, do, do you know I what the current... You, what, the one you... thing you really don't want to be, don't want to happen is not to be told at all. OK, do Dr. Bean, can, I, can I ask told. you... Can I ask you, please, if you know what the current level of uh, uh, carbon dioxide, the parts per million, is for planet Earth at the moment? Um, I, oh, gosh, it, it's 400 and something. It's massively high. It's something like 30% higher than it was. Um, it's nearly doubled what it was only about 30 or 40 years ago. Right, it, it, it's, four, it's 421, which is much lower than it was thousands of years ago. But let me ask you, what's the target PPM? We, we need to get it well below three. Well, three, 350 is the... Uh, we need to get it well below 350. We need to Plenty of studies show that we just destroy vegetation and plant life on Earth. That's completely wrong, Ben. You're just talking rubbish. Well, you you <laughs> we keep saying we're talking rubbish address... and nonsense. It seems to me that you don't want to listen to any other opinion. And actually, I've reeled off plenty of examples. I could sit here all day. I've reeled off plenty of examples of climate doom predictions from yesteryear that many senior people have made, the Pentagon, the UN, senior research scientists. You've sat here now, reeled off more predictions saying we're going to be wiped out, and you can't explain why today is any different to those predictions of yesteryear. Of course I can explain why. Every ordinary person knows that we're burning far more fossil fuels than we ever were before. We've doubled it in the last 30 years. We've doubled our emissions and we have to halve them. Because the, the the climate is getting so hot. Yeah, I think the frustration, Dr. Bing, I think the frustration is is that just stop oil don't stand outside the uh, Chinese embassy mm -hmm. or the Indian embassy or the Bangladeshi embassy, which continue to pump out more and more fossil fuels, while the UK has made huge steps, huge leaps forward in reducing pollution. But thank you very much indeed, Dr. Bing Jones, spokesperson for Just Stop Oil. Great to speak to you. Thank you. Well, there you go. I'm sorry. Getting into the nitty-gritty there, weren't you? I'm sorry. They, they, they may have, a, they may have a, a case. They may have a point. 
it remains to be seen. But when they've made so many predictions year after year, which none of them, not one, has been proved right, and the fact he linked that poor young lad, the two-year-old who fell into a river, to climate change is absolutely absurd. And he can sit there all he wants saying you're talking nonsense and patronising me and you, but, you know, to, to link a young lad's death to climate change when he's got no evidence for it at all is disgusting. Yeah, I think you've got a point. If you, if you talk up the prospect of the world being wiped out due to changing temperatures, then... Um, when that doesn't happen, it's it's uh, sort so of undermines your point. But uh, let us know what you think. GBVs at GBnews.com. But also, should there be a ban on mobile phones in schools? Do we need to get tough on children who can't, you know, can't leave their phone alone? Can't leave their phone alone even at school? We'll be debating that after the short break. You're watching Good Afternoon Britain. <laughs> Wake up to the headlines with Headliners every morning at 5am. We treat you to the day's biggest stories before anyone else, seven days a week. You can catch up on everything you need to know before you've even had your kippers. Mmm. Headliners every morning at 5am, only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Good afternoon, Britain. Weekdays from midday. Uh, Chris, what is the preferred way in which the police go about their business at the moment. There's these two strands of thinking. Evidence-based policing versus bobbies on the beat. It's very, very difficult. Um, the problem that police have got, basically, is that they're too thinly spread. And it's too much is expected of them. There's a long list, isn't it? Every month we hear police need to do more about this, police need to do more about that, and police do their best. They're overwhelmed with bureaucracy. I mean, when I was a young PC, if I took a shoplifter in, then I'd be in and out within an hour. You take a shoplifter in now, and you're doomed for the rest of your shift for six or seven hours dealing mm. with the bureaucracy. Police want to get back in those communities because community policing is really the core of policing. But such are the demands on their time at the moment and the bureaucracy mm. and the fact that they are struggling now to retain experienced officers. People are hemorrhaging out of the police and new recruits coming in haven't got that experience and there's a good chance they may not stay anyway. So there's all sorts of problems. And for the Home Secretary to glibly say he wants more done, frankly, clearly shows he's got no understanding of the pressure police are under. And of course, the constant criticism that they face across the board. Very rarely do you actually hear of police officers getting praised for acts of bravery or acts of compassion. So there's a problem with morale in the police force and clearly a problem with the Home Secretary who needs to get out there and talk to officers on the front line who frankly are struggling. And last night, of course, was a graphic example Every Sunday from 11, join Michael Portillo. There will be topical discussion, looking at the week before and the week to come. So kick back and relax at 11am on Sundays on GB News with me, Michael Portillo. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel.
When the news happens, it happens here. And really important breaking news. Breaking news this morning. On TV, radio and online, the news starts here on Britain's Newsroom. All the biggest stories and the answers that you need from across the UK and beyond. Join Britain's Newsroom from 9.30 on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Welcome back. It's 1.25. You're with Ben and Emily on Good Afternoon Britain, only on GB News. Now, new guidance has been issued for teachers in England on the proposed banning of mobile phones in the classroom. Yes, according to Education Secretary Gillian Keegan, it allows head teachers to develop and implement a policy which could allow phones during lessons, breaks and lunches, with provisions for searches if necessary. I would have thought that schools already had this uh, option for them, but joining us is author and broadcaster Lisa McKenzie, who allows students to use their phones in class, and journalist and broadcaster Julie Cook, who thinks phones should be banned as they're a distraction. Well, who should we start with? Uh, Julie, why do you think they should be banned in schools? Surely children, you know, need to get in touch with their parents, need to look things up on Google? No, I, I don't think they do. I think, you know, when, when you're at school, you're in loco parentis, you're being looked after by other people. You don't need to, to contact your parents at school. Um, but I also think they are a huge distraction. Anyone who says they aren't is 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 crazy. You know, they are a massive distraction and children are tempted to go on them, check their messages, check their SMSs, check who's sending them photos, and they're a huge distraction. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lisa, how many times have you caught kids in your classroom uh, on content or web pages that they shouldn't be on? Well, never really. I mean, I work at university, so my students are 18 plus. Um, and my students, I've realised that you, you, we're not going to get rid of the smartphones. And actually, they can be quite useful to teaching. So what I do is make sure that I've got an interactive class and I get them to do research. The first couple of weeks, I'll say you can use Wikipedia. And then after that, I'll say, right, no more Wikipedia. Let's use, start, we'll start using Google Scholar or other things. So... The key for me is about how you use those mobile phones mm. in your classroom. And I found them very useful, actually. And students, they are not going to put their phones away. Banning them is not the answer. You, we're not going to ban them. Social media apps and web, uh, social media is a problem. But I'm sure we can work around that. Lisa, what about school-aged children? What about school-aged children? You've got a teacher trying to teach a maths lesson. And you can see, you know, 
Bill over there with his phone looking at his uh, Snapchat. You've got Lisa in the corner doing another Lisa. You've got Lisa looking yeah. through her Instagram page. You've got someone else being bullied at the back on their WhatsApp messages. Yeah. Surely just getting rid of the phones from the classroom is the only way to make sure the pupils are concentrated on what they're supposed to be. Well, can't, can't the teacher tell them to get off the phone and put it in the bag? I mean, is that not allowed? You know, because if that was happening in my class, I'd stop the class and say, you know, put that away, put it in your bag. Or, you know, so it, it, you, why would a teacher sit there and allow this to happen? What I'm saying is in some classes, mobile phones are very useful, especially for research and also in getting students to start to think about credible sources of research. Because one of the things that we try and teach at universities is to be critical and critical thinking. Mm. Now, if we get, so if we, if we start to teach them, you know, Wikipedia is not always correct. We can get them to think critically about the world. Lisa, you're stopping students, stopping pupils from uh, seeing, being critical about sources and learning how to uh, get information. They've got a computer in their hand. Is that to me? Julie, Julie, sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think don't schools have computers anyway? I mean, most schools now have some kind of computer room or computer access for children, so they can do their studies on computers. They don't need their personal phone. I think the difference between using your personal phone and a school computer is you're probably going to have a bit more respect of what you're looking up, hopefully, not look up anything dodgy or personal on, on a school computer. But with your phone, you've got all your mates there, you've got your photographs there, you've got people messaging you. Um, and I disagree. I think, you know, my children's school, for example, has had this in place for a while. They have a pouch that the phone has to be put into. It's then locked for the day. Children have it on them, but they can't unlock it without the, the teacher sort of magnetically opening it at the end of the day. It means they've got their phone, no one can look at it, but they can't access it until the end of the day. And I, I think that's fine. Mm. And Julie, actually, lesson time is scarce enough as it is. I remember when I was at school, uh, a state school, um, you'd be lucky if you got 20 minutes solid of learning in because of so many people playing up. You don't want teachers spending any more precious time telling kids to put their phones away. I quite agree. I think, as you say, there are so many in, in, in state schools we have now, what, 30 plus in a class. The teacher has an hour max with the, you know, maybe 45 minutes to sit them down, do the lesson, sort out the homework. If they're then also saying every five minutes, Johnny, put your phone away, so-and-so, put your WhatsApp off, you know, of course it's going to be a distraction. Well, thank you very much <laughs> indeed, Judy. I'll let you finish. Last word. No, I'm just saying a good, what a good teacher would do is know at the beginning of the classroom whether it's appropriate to have the phone out or not. And I have found that using phones in classrooms has been really useful. Hmm, interesting. Interesting perspective there. Uh, Lisa McKenzie, of course, and Julie Cook. Good to speak to you. Uh, it's good. I, I take the point that sometimes phones can be useful, but I do think it's different at university level than it is in schools. I, I just imagine, as a teacher, trying to uh, get your you're, students you're to actually concentrate. You're basically trusting kids to not look at all the other distractions on their phones. Don't open Instagram, don't go on Snapchat, don't look at those messages from your mates, only look at, you know, Wikipedia or whatever you're researching. I mean, don't you remember, because I didn't have my phone in primary school, obviously, um, but we used to, you know, write notes on paper instead and pass those around. Pa paper and now it's just, you know, text messages, right? WhatsApp messages constantly, I imagine. You know, you just have your phone under the desk all the time. I just think everyone else survived. I mean, why do, why do kids these days need mobiles? It would have been... It 
would have been useful, though, to have a phone when I was left at the bus stop and I didn't know when my mum was picking me up. Well, we, we discussed this earlier. That, that was the fun of growing up. Yeah. I remember many times I'd be waiting outside the school and my mum had <laughs> thought I was at some sports club or something when I wasn't, and I'd have to either... You and know, you have to decide. You have to decide whether to stay put and keep waiting and actually, or to walk. And actually, when you were a kid as well, you, you didn't say, you know, call your, your best mates on the phone and say, where are you? You'd have to knock on their house, call the landline, maybe they're down the park, maybe they're down in the town centre outside McDonald's. Gosh, don't you sometimes wish that you'd, uh, you know... Life was a lot more fun. Yeah, that you'd lived day. in the past. Oh, yeah, but every, you know, back to basics. Every, every generation says that, don't they? Yeah, nostalgia for something we've never known. <laughs> <laughs> GBV's at gbnews.com, let us know what you think. But um, coming up, are there serious problems in UK policing? We're talking about reports that officers shared graphic details following the horrendous attacks in Nottingham last year. We're discussing that with our panel after your headlines. You're watching Good Afternoon... Ben, Emily, thank you very much. It's just gone at 1.32. The headlines this hour. Well, a man who piloted a boat across the English Channel has today been found guilty of manslaughter. If you're watching on TV, you'll be able to see the exclusive footage uh, of the rescue operation that's been obtained by GB News. Uh, tens of migrants crammed into a... Uh, inflatable boat there being hauled out of uh, very cold water and uh, four migrants drowned when that boat that you can see there ran into difficulty in December of 2022. Ibrahim Abar, who's a Senghalese migrant, claimed that he had sailed boats before, which meant that he was allowed to make the journey across the channel free of charge while others on that boat paid thousands of pounds. The judge today said the boat was navigated using only mobile phones and as a result of his actions, four people lost their lives. A man has appeared in court after Vietnamese migrants were found in the back of a freezer lorry at New Haven Ferry Port last week. 42-year-old Anas Al-Mustafa, who lives in Swansea, has been, found, has been accused of assisting unlawful entry into the UK after seven migrants broke through a wall and escaped from a van he was driving. Prosecutors told the court that their exit was also helped by people on the outside trying to break them out of that vehicle. Four of the seven migrants are still in hospital, with one in a critical condition. Mr Al-Mustafa will appear again at Lewis Crown Court on the 18th of March. A major crime investigation is underway in Bristol after three young children were found dead. Officers responded to a welfare call and the bodies of a boy aged seven, a three-year-old girl and a ten-month-old boy were found. A 42-year-old woman was arrested at the scene and she was then taken to hospital. We understand she is still in police custody. The widow of Alexei Navalny says that Russian authorities are deliberately withholding his body until traces of the nerve agent Novichok disappear from his system. In a message posted to social media, Yulia Navalny vowed to continue his work, saying that she wants to live in a free Russia. She also said that the reason for his death is known and the details of those responsible will be made public. For the latest stories, you can sign up to GB News Alerts by scanning the QR code on your screen or go to gbnews.com alerts. For a valuable legacy your family can own, gold coins will always shine bright. Rosalind Gold proudly sponsors the GB News Financial Report. And here's a look at the markets this afternoon. The pound will buy you $1.2610 and €1.1705. The price of gold is £1,600.85 per ounce. 
and the FTSE 100s at 7,723 points. Rosalind Gold proudly sponsors the GB News Financial Report. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens with our team of dedicated journalists across the UK. We're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Lee Anderson's Real World. Fridays from 7pm. Dr Jane Jones, it was the clinical lead for Care After Combat. Yep. Jane, thanks for coming. And just tell me a little bit about your organisation. What do you do? OK, well, thank you for having me here so we can talk about Care After Combat. So we are an organisation, a charity, who work into the prison system, working with military veterans who've somehow got involved with the justice system and... So there's, there's quite a high population of, of ex-service men and women in our prisons. Why is that, do you think? So 2014, the government did a review of who was resident in UK prisons and what they found were that military veterans are the highest occupational group. And this obviously raises some concerns. Yeah. So the government wanted to do something about that. And so they supported Care After Combat initially, just as a scoping exercise, really, to see if there was any way we could help these men and women at actually, you know, understand the problems that led to offending behaviour yeah. and go on to lead successful lives. So what sort of offending behaviour are we talking typically for, for people that's in prison that's actually served in our armed forces? Primarily it's uh, violence. Yeah. So that is the highest offence that, that we work with. Okay. But of course the military, as with everybody else, it's the full range of offending behaviour. OK, so we're in a pub, Jane. Dr. Jane, uh, and I guess for some people, you know, the old tip of alcohol is good, uh, yeah. a bit of fun uh, of a weekend, relax, let your hair down. But for some people, alcohol is not always their best friend, and I guess that plays a, plays a part in some of your veterans that end up inside. Yeah. Absolutely. So, speaking from my own experience, a good two-thirds of the people I work with have some kind of mental health problem or mental health yeah. difficulty, struggling to either adapt into yep. civilian life or with some of the traumas they've experienced during service. People might self-medicate with alcohol to manage some of those thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Your weekend starts here with Friday Night Live with me, Mark Dolan, 8 till 9 on GB News. Big stories, big guests and big laughs as we get you ready for a cracking weekend. That's Friday Night Live with Mark Dolan. Fridays 8 till 9 on GB News. Bring your own drinks. The admission's free. Have a great Saturday night with me, Leo Carson, this Saturday Night Showdown. It's a crazy world out there, so come and make fun of it with me, my panel of comedians and a couple of people who actually know what they're talking about. This Saturday Night Showdown is your front row ticket to the clown show every Saturday, only on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Welcome back, it's 1.38, you're with Ben and Emily on Good Afternoon Britain on GB News. Now, as we've just been discussing, new guidance has been issued for teachers in England on uh, to allow the banning of mobile phones in schools. Yes, so according to the Education Secretary, Gillian Keegan, this will allow head teachers to develop and implement a policy which could allow phones during lessons, breaks and lunches, but with provisions for searches. Bag searches. Bag searches, yes, so the teachers could, uh, you know, just ask to see your bag and then... Uh... Civil liberties. Is it? Is it? Yeah, maybe, I think so, maybe, maybe, maybe. Joining us now in the studio is GB News presenter Nana O'Queer and political editor for the Huffington Post, Kevin Schofield. 
Nana, let's get Ooh. to it. Uh, is it right we should ban mobiles uh, in schools? And also, what do you think about this prospect of searching children's bags when they come into school? Uh, well, look, a lot of schools already do it anyway. Mm. Um, my daughter, she got a mobile phone when she was nine. And I remember the day she got it because wow. literally weeks later, she, I would speak to her and she'd go... And I said, what are you doing? She goes, TikTok, it's a transition. I'm like, what on earth are you talking about? She stopped drawing, she stopped doing all the things that, she, that made her cutesy and little mm. and then became a, a, one of those scary Tasmanian devils. And I, the only three, if I said to her, all I have to say to her now, she's 15, bring me your smartphone. That sends shivers down her spine. <laughs> she And she becomes the nicest person ever until that phone is returned. So I think the power of these phones, I would say that absolutely they shouldn't be removed from the children. I would go further and say they, I, I'm with um, Esther Jai that they shouldn't be allowed smartphones. They should be given Nokia 2010s or something without the capability to mm. do that until they're 16. And uh, But a lot of schools do this anyway. Well, but how do you with... deal with that with your own children then? So you can see that they are hopelessly addicted to mm. these devices. Is the problem that so are the adults? I, I, well, I'm mm. an absolute hypocrite. I'm an mm. absolute hypocrite. But I find it, to be honest, it's slightly entertaining. When I say, bring me your smartphone, I look at her face, she goes, <laughs> No! <laughs> and I said, she goes, Mummy, but Mummy, I say, bring me the phone. So it works both on. ways then. Not only can it be a distraction, it can be a good tool it's, to it's get them really to good. obey. It's really good. So I, oh, yeah, I yeah. my kids, I don't do anything like that. Just a couple of words and a certain tone, the eyes, fear is good. I can mm. imagine. It's, <laughs> it's, the, it's the ultimate punishment for... It is. I know that from my own kid. Well, her eldest was 11 when she got a phone. Yeah. Because she was going to high school. And it was uh, a safety thing as much as anything else. You know, she was having to get the bus to school, whereas before she could just walk. Um, mm. So it was we knew where she was and if she needed any help. So it's a good thing. I think it's mm. good that they have them. But she has to hand it in on the school gates, basically. She has to yeah. put it in the locker. So this is all a bit it, pointless, then, the because schools well, do already have them what I was going to say was, it, it feels a bit like Groundhog Day. Mm. I mean, how many times have they announced that they're going to ban it? And this isn't even a ban, this is just guidance. It's up to, ultimately, yeah. it's up to head teachers. Yeah, do you, to do you think what schools are, are going to follow this guidance? Well, the ones that I think most of them already this, have, this is their own guidance. Is. I mean, this is, feels like just more kind of headline grabbing mm. um, by the government. I mean, I think we should leave it up to schools to, to decide. I think all teachers would agree that they don't want kids in the classroom staring at their phones, messaging each other, taking phone calls, all that type of stuff. I mean, I don't think that really goes on very But I, much. I think they're concerned about... So, the, as you imagine, with the trans guidance, they're concerned that if they try and put these restrictions, there'll be parents who will override all of this and say, you can't do that, it's the right of my child, blah, blah, blah. So the guidance, I, I think, is good. The government should have done this a long time ago. Mm. But I'm with uh, Mr Barton, who, who said the government should focus on things like, that matter, like funding and stuff like that for yeah. schools. I'm absolutely with them. And, Kevin, there's also a case for a, a young mind, a 12-year-old's brain, getting that instant dopamine hit, scrolling yeah. through, bang, bang, bang. What's that doing for the focus and attention? I mean, it, I know it affects me as a yeah. man in my 30s. What's well, that doing to kids? I think in years to come, we'll probably look back and say, why did we give kids such easy access apps mm. and their mobile phone like that. And, yeah, again, you said the punishment is taking oh, the phone great. off them. I mean, yours is... I don't know how many times your daughter has been banned from TikTok. You know, we'll take that app off your phone unless you do this. And that is, like, a terrible... What do you do, though? Because, I mean, I don't have a child yet, but 
I imagine I'll have all these ideas of being very strict and not allowing them to have a phone. Let me tell you, it never they're going to be reading, yeah. not using but TikTok and not, things, no. and then the reality strikes. Well, I think the reality starts with the birthing plan that you'll probably have, because <laughs> that won't go to plan. <laughs> it never does. And then from there on, you'll realise that you're not, literally not in control. <laughs> I, <think laughs> I, I, did, I did it. I said we're going to have organic food, nothing <laughs> yeah. organic only. They're not going to have any tablets until they're seven or eight or nine. And then actually, you go to a restaurant and you're trying to eat a meal, and the Kids kicking off and crying, and you're just getting stressed. You say, just give the them phone. anything. It's so at that easy. Point. Patrol, take the phone. <laughs> it's so easy. Yeah, and no, all you're right. Anything for a quiet life a lot of the time. But yeah. you know that you, you can't give them completely unrestricted access. But it is also quite handy to. I mean, Lisa McKenzie, who we spoke to earlier, who um, is a professor, she said, oh, no, it's great for students to have their phones and, you know, they'll find out lots of information and things and they'll learn the difference between fact and fiction and how to look at sources critically. Mm -hmm. Really? Is that true? <laughs> Has she got any children? I don't know. Has she ever been, she ever been online? No, but, but look, I think that I gave my daughter the phone because I thought it was useful. I wanted her to be... I don't want her to be naive. Mm. She's the person who would say to me, Mummy, if you're going to take a picture of yourself, make sure take it from here down, make sure there's no... Not that I've taken any new pictures, but she's just telling me, she tells me things like, you know, if you're going to make sure the school logo isn't in the photo and things like that, yeah, that I'm that not ma even That makes about. me really sad hearing so that. So she's not naive. So I'm glad that she's got a bit of, you know, get up and go about her. But I would have rather given her that phone later and given her some sort of, you know, one of those 2010s that doesn't have the capability for smart. Kevin, hearing what Nana just said then, it makes me it makes me quite sad that young people were so conscious of their image and that they, mm. they're thinking about the angles and the poses. I see some young kids these days pulling, you know, sort of very weird, strange poses. They've mm. seen Sexy on poses. Yeah, and it's just like well, just oh. enjoy yourself. Why are you being so self-conscious? And it finds it makes me really, you know. Yeah, and that, again, as a parent, that's something else you've got to look out for. I mean, I'm trying to keep an eye on what they're watching. Um, what they're mm. sharing, what information they're sharing online as well. I mean, it's so... I mean, it's a minefield, mm. really. Well, thank you very much indeed, Kevin Schofield, and, of course, Nana Aquir. We'll be back uh, to, after this break. Uh, we're going to be discussing the families of the three people who were fatally stabbed in Nottingham last year. They are now reportedly sickened to hear that police officers shared details of their injuries, gory details of their injuries, on WhatsApp. More after that. This short break. Big news, big debate, big opinion. Patrick Christie's Tonight is the week's biggest show. Every weekday, 9 to 11 p.m., we've got the inside track on the day's top stories. There'll be sharp takes you won't get anywhere else. We will set the news agenda, not just follow it, and I want to bring you along for the ride. Whatever it is, we'll have our finger on the pulse. It's news, but it's this close to entertainment. Patrick Christie's Tonight, 9 to 11 p.m., only on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. GB News Breakfast, every day from 6am. So, the highway code um, was amended recently, passed me by, but anyway, <laughs> a new poll suggests this has made no difference to the safety of road users, and I could believe that. Yeah, there was an awful crash in London, wasn't there? A bus and a, and a pedestrian yesterday. Um, Fatality So, we're that. asking, yeah, is the highway code fit for purpose, or should we just scrap it altogether? Uh, that's our debate this morning, and joined, uh, we're joined by Danny Kelly. She argues highways are not fit for purpose, uh, and cycling instructor Anna Hughes thinks they are. Good morning yeah. to you both. You see, Anna, I think, it's, I, I think it's a good thing. I think the, the, the highway code is a good thing. I just don't think that any of us pay any attention to it, or we should all be tested on it quite regularly, I would have thought. We should have revision courses in it. 
Yeah, I think you just summed it up, Eamon, by saying the changes passed you by. I actually asked a few of my fellow cyclists and uh, pedestrians what is classified as vulnerable road users about this very thing. I said, has the new highway code made things safer for you? And most people said, not at all. Drivers don't know what it is. They don't know what the changes are. They probably don't know what the rules are to start with. And as you've just said, doing refreshes is a really good idea. It, it's a bit bizarre that we're given a license to operate this quite dangerous machinery and then we're never tested again. And especially not on the highway code, which is, especially when it changes, why wouldn't we be retested on that or have to do refresher courses on it? You know, there are conflicts on the road. There are fatalities. It makes sense to be, uh, to be, well, aware of what the highway code says because it is there to keep us safe. Yeah. And Danny Kelly, when I think back, I think it was 1999 I passed my driving test. Hardly any bikes on the road then, to be honest, probably virtually none. I'm Christopher Hope. And I'm Gloria DiPiero, bringing you PMQ's live here on GB News. Every Wednesday, we'll bring you live coverage of Prime Minister's questions when Rishi Sunak and Sir Keir Starmer go head-to-head -head in the House of Commons. We'll be asking our viewers and listeners to submit the questions that they would like to put to the Prime Minister, and we'll put that to our panel of top politicians in our Westminster studio. That's PMQ's live here on GB News, Britain's election channel. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon, it's 1.48, you're with Ben and Emily on Good Afternoon Britain. Now, the families of three people stabbed to death in Nottingham last year are reportedly sickened to learn that police officers shared graphic details of their loved ones' injuries in a WhatsApp group. Yes, Barnaby Webber, Grace O'Malley Kumar, both aged 19, and Ian Coates were killed, of course, by Valdo Calacane last June. Uh, back with us now is uh, GB News superstar Nana Aquir <laughs> and political editor <laughs> for Huffington Post, Kevin Schofield. Oh. That's no, a no. good introduction, I what think. Superstar. Well, <laughs> lend me a fiver. Um, look, th this particular case is uh, it's astonishing, isn't it? Not only have the parents and the families of these victims had to deal with the incident itself, but mm. after the fact, learning that the, the details and the, uh, the, the running commentary between police officers is, is rife among WhatsApp groups. Well, it's disgusting, isn't it? It's yet another story that makes you lose complete faith in the police. Um, and it's not the first time either. I, I remember the first time I kind of heard about them doing this was a, a couple of years ago when two sisters were killed in, in London mm. and they were sharing some of the images and whatever, taking pictures mm. of the, the bodies and things. It's absolutely disgusting. And, um, I, you know, these, these, the worst bit about it is once these people have done this, they then start referring themselves to the police complaints. And it's like, well... You, you, something needs to change here. We can't have a police force who nobody trusts and, you know, with anything. I mean, I, I wouldn't trust them to arrest me. I don't trust them. I wouldn't trust them if anything happened to me that they would take it seriously. I don't trust them to report it properly. 
I literally don't trust the police, and I'm sad to say That's that. That's a huge problem. I'm sad if to say people, that. If an increasing number of people yeah. simply do not trust the police, no. whether they're the victim of crime mm. or the perpetrator, um, the families of the victims have said this is internal needless voyeurism. Mm. That's what it is, isn't it, oh, it's, Kevin? It's absolutely horrific. Um, I mean, these families have been through hell already. Um, and then to learn that these graphic details, mm. intimate details of what happened to their family members being shared and out with the police as well, you know, it's been shared and then shared on again. Mm. Um, it's, it's just beggars belief. And you, you think what was going through their minds? Why did they think that that was in any way acceptable? Um, or how did they think they were never going to get caught? Because it's inevitable. Kevin, not, not excusing what's happened here, which is absolutely atrocious, but I spoke to Norm, we both did, spoke to Norman Brennan earlier, the former mm. Met Police officer, and I said, is there something to be discussed with regards to the everyday scenes police officers are witnessing, road traffic yeah. accidents, murder scenes, that somehow gets them desensitised to, you know, many things that would leave normal people, you know, quite stunned and even mm. experiencing PTSD and things like that. No, yeah, and, you know, there should be, and I hope there is, support available for officers who obviously do have to witness horrendous things that, thankfully, we don't in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, but, you know, if there is help there, they should take that help. It's, it, it, I don't think that in any way excuses mm -hmm. them do you, for, for doing that. Do you that. think just a strong talking to is enough? When it comes to this sort of thing, do you think there should be severe disciplinary measures on these police officers? Well, I think talk is cheap, isn't it? It's, and it's over. We've been talking about this constantly. We've seen it with politicians, with, with things on WhatsApp. We've seen it with literally all this, the public services where we want to have respect for people. We're finding that they are sharing awful things with each other on WhatsApp. I, I really don't know where we go with this, whether there should be banned from having WhatsApp groups. Perhaps that's something that they should be... we should be looking at. Uh, well, this is the thing with WhatsApp, isn't it? It makes everything very casual. Yeah. It's and so if you're easy. using... Yeah. if you're doing business, uh, in, this, in this case policing, all on WhatsApp, you can see how people go over the line and don't realise that actually what they're doing is pretty sick. But why are they doing business on WhatsApp? I don't understand. I don't know. Well, There yeah. shouldn't be. So I think that perhaps we need to start... There needs to be something where police shouldn't be allowed to do that. I just think it should be banned. You can't have a WhatsApp group. I mean, even the government was, was dealing with well, exactly. COVID plans on WhatsApp. Exactly. I mean, it, was, it was astonishing to me when all those leaked texts came out and they were discussing measures and, you know, things that would really affect our lives on WhatsApp. But the problem yeah. is, though, it's the easiest way to communicate, isn't it, Kevin? Well, uh, yeah, it's very... the times, if WhatsApp is the easiest way to... Well, it's very, know, it's very convenient and, things. as journalists, it, it's a very quick way of texting sources and getting quotes and that, that's everything. Yeah. I think that's a world away from... I mean, it doesn't seem like there was any sort of productive uh, benefit mm. to them doing this. It was pretty voyeuristic from what I can tell. Certainly somebody shared it with his wife. Yeah, um, wife and a friend. You know, so you think, well, that's not part of the investigation, is it's it? It's none of their business. No, absolutely. absolutely none and, of you their know, business you just, again, you go back to the, to the victims' families, you mm. think, how must they feel to know that it wasn't just the police that um, were yeah. sharing this information, but people okay. with the police. Uh, Kevin Schofield, Nana Queer, thanks so much. We'll be back. Yes, in a statement to The Telegraph, the Deputy Chief Constable Steve Cooper said, Nottinghamshire's police professional standards directorate found one message posted on a WhatsApp group and took action immediately. So there, there you go, drawing a line under it. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure that's enough. So what's happened to the, the police officer?
Well, Does it depend on the outcome of the, the standards meeting? Some kind of disciplinary measure. But coming up, MPs will decide how to react to the death of Alexei Navalny. But what options do they really have? We've had David Cameron talking about further sanctions. There will be consequences for the Kremlin. What do those consequences actually look like? I mean, it feels like we've exhausted all our options. We've, we've seized assets from oligarchs. We've seized their yachts, their gold, their money. It's the most sanctioned country in the world by some way, I imagine. And they're still going. Russia just took a massive town in Donbass. They're still mm. going. Well, we're going to pose that question of what more can we do to an MP after this very short break. Stay with us. This is uh, Good Afternoon Britain on GP News. A brighter outlook with Bob Solar and sponsors of weather on GB News. Hello, Alex Bergill here again with your latest GB News weather forecast. There is some pretty unsettled weather to come as we go through this week, but for the time being, it's largely fine because we've been under the influence of high pressure to the south of the UK, which has quietened our weather down. So although we did see a bit of rain earlier on in the day, through the afternoon, there's been plenty of dry and at times sunny weather. However, cloudy, wet and windy weather spilling across Scotland as we go through the night, further south and elsewhere, staying mostly dry, but thickening cloud from the west. The best chance of any clearer skies will be across eastern areas. Here temperatures taking a bit of a dip in some prone rural spots getting into low single figures so perhaps a fresher start tomorrow morning than it has been recently. Otherwise through the day tomorrow a spell of wet and windy weather then spilling its way across parts of Scotland, Northern Ireland and later pushing their way into parts of northern and northwestern England and Wales. In the southeast though here it should stay largely dry with the rain not arriving until the overnight period. It is again going to be mild, highs of around 14 or 15 Celsius in the southeast, something a little bit fresher starting to push in from the northwest behind the front. Then into Wednesday, and this is when we're likely to see the heaviest rain and some strong blustery winds. The wettest weather likely to be across parts of the southwest. Here we're likely to see some disruption with some flooding possible as well as some issues on the roads. More unsettled weather to come as we go through later this week and into the weekend. Bye-bye. That warm feeling inside from Boxed Boilers, sponsors of weather on GB News. I'm Andrew Doyle. Join me at 7 o'clock every Sunday night for Free Speech Nation, the show where I tackle the week's biggest stories in politics and current affairs with the help of my two comedian panellists and a variety of special guests. Free Speech Nation, Sunday nights from 7 on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens with our team of dedicated journalists across the UK. We're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Patrick Christie's Tonight, weekdays from 9pm. Can do you find the union flag, the union jack divisive? Um, in some situation, but as Simon quite clearly state, and I agree with everything that he says in, in regards that this situation, when people use it for ulterior motive, to cause fear, alarm and distress. We saw that with the far right when they came up to say protecting the Churchill statues and things of that nature. But largely on the large whole, even I wave 
the St. George's flag on a sport, sporting occasion. And I don't see anything wrong in, in raising the Union Jack or the St. George's flag mm. on, so long as the, the, the intention is, is correct. And as he says, Mr. Brockhurst, he served for the country and he should have every right to be proud of what he's done and the way that he wants to display it. All right, Simon, what do you make of this kind of, I would argue it, as, like, student social media-based politics, where you get these pillocks from the Green Party who are saying, oh, it's divisive and I can't believe it. It will be legal in this country to do... Do, do those people need to get out more? I was on the streets of Stratford earlier on, an incredibly diverse place, speaking to a massive range of people right across different age demographics. I couldn't find a single sausage who said to me that they thought that this guy from the Green Party was right. He obviously has absolutely no attention from anybody. And this is his way of finding attention. Both Ken and I, myself, we both agree that nobody should use any symbol of national identity to offend others deliberately. Because that's just inflaming a situation. There's so much sensitivity around so many things today, and people do get offended by so much so quickly without any rhyme or reason. GB News, unlike other broadcasters, isn't obsessed with the London-Westminster bubble. We think there's a nation beyond the M25, and that's why we talk about the issues that matter across the land. Join me on State of the Nation, 8 to 9 o'clock, Monday to Thursday, on GB News. Daisy's listening, and you should too. Good afternoon, Britain. It's 2 o'clock on Monday, the 19th of February. Boris, round two. A new poll found huge support for Boris Johnson to fight the next general election. It revealed that the Tory party under the former Prime Minister could regain the votes of lost Conservatives. So, is it time to bring back Bojo? Yes, would you welcome that? Hmm. Warning to the Kremlin. Britain will take action over the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, warns David Cameron as MPs return to the House of Commons today. But with sanctions already in place, what does holding Putin to account actually look like in practice? And sacked for criticising Hamas, former Labour Minister Lord Austin has been controversially suspended as the chair of a housing association after describing Hamas as, quote, Islamist rapists and murderers. Housing Minister Michael Gove has demanded an urgent explanation. There's been a lot of reaction, hasn't there, Ben, to uh, your, uh, well, mainly uh, what you were saying to Dr Bing earlier. Now, Dr Bing is a Just Stop All spokesperson, bless him, and uh, bless him. I think he might have got things a little bit a little Yeah, bit one, one email from Jeff Ford here says, Emily and Ben, both your arguments against the doctor are based on opinion or view. Climate change isn't an opinion, it's scientific fact. Jeff, no-one's denying the climate is changing. One of my points with Dr Bing was that um, we've had so many doomsday predictions in recent years, dozens and dozens going back decades, made by mm. from some very senior people, which have all come to pass without so much of a whimper. Well, uh, Adam says, uh, thanks to Dr Bing, I now know why I can't get a doctor's appointment. It must be due to climate change, as he seems to blame everything on climate change, from not being able to get a roofer to someone falling into a river. And actually, that's, that's the point. What really upset me 
uh, in that interview from Dr. Bean was blaming the death of that poor two-year-old lad who fell into a river because it was overflowing on climate change. Absolutely no evidence whatsoever mm. for that river being overflown because of climate change. Yet these people feel fit to come forward and use, use a young kid's death to push their agenda. Yeah, and Paul, he says... Um... Well, he says that essentially public policy on the environment is based on an irrational narrative that's alarmist and that uh, what we need is a rational response to the changing climate. I have to agree with, uh, agree with you, Paul. It's not, it doesn't help to have these kind of over-the-top, exaggerated narratives and certainly... Go it rocking up to uh, MPs' homes yeah. and intimidating them certainly isn't it the just, answer either. It just completely dilutes any genuine argument you do have. But now let's get some uh, news headlines with Sam. Ben, Emily, thank you very much and good afternoon from the GB newsroom. Uh, just coming up to three minutes past two in our top story this afternoon. A man who piloted a boat across the English Channel has today been found guilty of manslaughter. If you're watching on TV, you'll be able to see here exclusive footage obtained by GB News of the rescue operation that took place in December 2022. Tens of migrants being hauled out of an inflatable boat in rather choppy waters. Four of those migrants drowned during that crossing after the boat ran into difficulty. Ibrahim Abar, who's a Senghalese migrant, claimed that he had sailed boats before, which meant that he was allowed to make the journey free of charge, while others paid thousands. The judge today said the boat was navigated using only mobile phones, and as a result of his actions, four people lost their lives. As we've been hearing, a major crime investigation is underway in Bristol after three young children were found dead. Officers responded to a welfare call and found the bodies of a boy aged seven, a three-year-old girl and a ten-month-old boy. A 42-year-old woman was arrested at the scene. She was then taken to hospital and she is still in police custody. We understand forensic examinations are now underway to determine how those three children died. Police have also said a local church has been opened for people to gather and to mourn, while community officers will remain in the area over the coming days. The widow of Alexei Navalny says that Russian authorities are deliberately withholding his body until she says traces of the nerve agent Novichok disappear from his system. In a message posted to social media, Yulia Navalny avowed to continue his work, saying she wants to live in a free Russia. She also said that the reason for his death is known and the details of those responsible will be made public. Putin killed my children's father. Putin took away the most dear person I have ever had. I want to live in a free Russia. I want to build a free Russia. It comes as Navalny's mother and his lawyer were seen visiting the local prosecutor's office in the city near to where he died last week. But a spokesperson for Navalny's team said they weren't allowed into the morgue where his body is believed to be, adding they were literally pushed out. Back here in the UK, specialist dive teams are combing the River Saw in Leicester in the search for a two-year-old boy who fell into the water on Sunday. Leicestershire police are intensifying their efforts to locate the missing toddler with the help of helicopters and aerial technology. Officers have said that rising water levels, though, are presenting some danger and they're asking people to keep away from the area. As we've been hearing today, new guidance has been issued for teachers in England on restricting the use of smartphones in schools as concerns grow over the impact of social media on young people. 
Head teachers can now choose to include a ban on phones in their school's behaviour policy, with provisions for possible searches if necessary. The union representing head teachers, though, says robust rules already exist, and they've dismissed the guidelines as a non-policy for a non-problem. But earlier speaking to GB News, the Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said the government is ensuring clarity and consistency exists across all classrooms. What we're trying to do is ch change the social norm, change the norm in our schools that, that phones are, are, are not acceptable in our schools. And But some other countries have already done this, quite a few countries have already done this, and we just want to make sure that it's consistent and we make it clear. And we empower head teachers to do this. And, and we think that mostly uh, this is something that parents would welcome. In other news, a UK cargo ship in the Red Sea has been attacked by Houthis in uh, the region, forcing the crew on board to abandon that ship. The UK's Maritime Authority confirmed the ship sustained catastrophic damage in the missile attack off the coast of Yemen and is now at risk of sinking. It comes as the EU prepares to launch a new mission to protect commercial vessels in the Red Sea and follows the UK and US sending their own military ships to the region in December. And finally, the average asking price for a home in Britain has jumped by more than £3,000 this month. According to the property website Rightmove, falling mortgage rates and more stable conditions are driving the surge to just over £362,000 now for the average house price. However, agents are warning sellers to set attractive asking prices before potential pre-election jitters. Momentum in the market comes as sales agreed in the first six weeks of this year are up 16% on the same period last year. For the latest stories, you can sign up to GB News Alerts by scanning the QR code on your screen or go to gbnews.com alerts. You're watching and listening to Good Afternoon Britain on GB News. Now, could Boris Johnson be the man to save the Conservative Party? Mm. Members seem to think so. Yes, a new poll of Conservative voters says the former Prime Minister remains the most popular candidate to succeed Rishi Sunak as Tory leader. And the study, commissioned by party supporter Lady McAlpine, finds that more than half of those who voted for the party in 2019 will not do the same in the next election. But... They would if Boris Johnson was put back in charge. Well, joining us now from Westminster is our political correspondent, Olivia Utley. Now, there's, you know, this comes up quite a bit, whether Boris Johnson should return and whether he'd uh, turn around the fortunes of the Conservative Party. But with a general election looming, it could well be, actually, that when there's a Conservative leadership election, that Boris Johnson is back on the uh, ticket. It, it could possibly be. Boris Johnson was in frontline politics for about a decade, for just a little over a decade. And in all of that time, there were quite a few moments where it looked as though it was the end of Boris Johnson's career. And yet again, he rose like a phoenix from the ashes. The Partygate scandal and the, uh, the, the, the banishment from Parliament in the end felt like the end of Boris Johnson's career. But, as I say, we have seen this happen time and again before, and in the end, Boris Johnson has come back. Could he, 
actually rise again uh, like a phoenix from the ashes <laughs> after what seemed like a, 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 the grand finale of his career? Well, it does seem just possible. Last week, Rishi Sunak was interviewed on whether or not he would uh, welcome Boris Johnson's return to frontline politics. And actually, he didn't say no. He didn't rule it out. There are plenty of people, as this poll demonstrates, within the Conservative Party who feel like Boris Johnson is the Conservative Party's only hope now. And you can see where they're coming from. Boris Johnson managed to win that 2019 election with a majority of 80. Almost nobody was expecting that. Whatever you think of him, he has a sort of, he has a pull with certain sections of the public. But for every one Conservative voter who loves him and is desperate to see him come back, there is at least one other who was very glad to see the back of him a couple of years ago and would not welcome his return at all. The other question, of course, is whether Boris Johnson would want to come back. He's mm. designed a pretty nice life for himself after leaving Parliament. He's got a £4 million, I think it is, mansion in, in Oxfordshire. Um, and he's making a lot of money on the after-dinner speaking circuit, something which he always excelled at even before he was Prime Minister. Would he throw all that in for the rough and tumble of politics again? Perhaps uh, any of us would probably not do that. But in Boris Johnson's case, there are those around him who say he is really, really keen to not only restore his legacy, but actually get to work on some of the projects which he was voted in to work on in 2019 and failed to do because, obviously, the COVID pandemic completely derailed his premiership. My instinct is if Boris Johnson was invited back to frontline politics, he would be only too keen to accept but we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, you make a great point, Olivia. I think uh, figures released last year show that Boris earned something near £5 million for speeches. Gosh. He got £2.5 million advance for speeches that he would do to banks uh, such as Goldman, etc. Uh, so, question marks over whether... I mean, let's be real, he probably won't come back before the election, but what about after the election, if and when the Tories are annihilated, as some predict? I mean, it's a really interesting question. It's very hard to imagine what sort of state the Conservative Party will be in after the election. Of course, it depends on, well, we're assuming here that they are going to lose the election. Of course, that's not an absolute given. But it does depend a little bit on, on the sort of scale of the loss. If there is a, the sort of obliteration that some are predicting, then there will be plenty of Conservative MPs, particularly those on the, on the back benches at the moment. There are still quite a few Boris supporters among them who would like to see the Conservative Party change tack completely. They would like to see yeah. a sort of uh, proper right-winger, as they think of it, a Thatcherist, take charge. And what they would like to see take charge is, is, a, is a politician like Boris Johnson, someone who has that kind of charisma um, and that, that sort of draw with the public, which many people say Rishi Sunak lacks. So if there is that obliteration on the party benches, there is massive division within the Conservative Party, then I can just about see a narrow opening for Boris Johnson mm. to, 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 to squeeze up through. But I think more likely my, my money would be on someone like uh, Kemi Badenoch taking the reins after a potential Tory defeat. Yes, of course. And if you polled the rest of the public, not just Conservative voters, you might find that there's little appetite for a Bojo comeback. But there you go. Thank you very much indeed, Olivia Hartley, our political correspondent. Joining us now is Conservative MP Sally Ann Hart. Good afternoon, Sally. Thanks for joining us. Just briefly, what's your Hello. thoughts about this, uh, this mega poll? nearly 14,000 Tory members uh, involved in it. Well, Voters. Yeah, well, I, I do think... Um, I
personally feel very strongly that we all need to just pull together and stop working against each other. And we need to actually, I think Rishi said um, last week, that the, the right needs to pull together in order to defeat Labour. And actually having a Keir Starmer and Labour government um, for the next five years mm. would not be the best it, thing. Is We've that just happening, got the economy though, back Sally? On track. Is that, is that happening, though? Are the party pulling together? Because... They're not showing a, an awfully unified uh, projection of themselves. Uh, you've got various pressure groups within the party all battling it out. Well, I think there's a lot of talk in the press about the Tory infighting. Actually, at least the Conservative Party is a broad church and we welcome debate within the party. Uh, we're not like the Labour Party, who is um, literally autocratic at the moment with allowing dissension from the ranks. It is really important that we maintain a democratic discussion going forward, but we really do need to pull together and stop working against each other. And we need to provide a clear vision for the long-term future and provide a sense of hope for people. So we need to appeal to core voters and Middle England. Um, Sally-Ann, I want to get your thoughts on the death of Alexei Navalny and what we've heard from Lord Cameron. He said that the Kremlin must face consequences. In your view, what does that mean and what should that look like? I think we're looking at further sanctions, economic sanctions against Russia. Um, it's absolutely shocking what... I mean, I've read the press. I don't know anything more than other people reading the press um, have seen you know, that perhaps um, Navalny's family are not allowed to see his body, that his body is covered in bruises in the morgue. It's utterly, utterly disgusting what has happened to him. And if he's been murdered, which it looks like it has, then I think severe economic sanctions, and we must explore with our partners um, what other, further uh, measures can be taken against against. Putin. Mm. I guess the worry is, is have we pulled that lever to the maximum already? We know that Russia is the most sanctioned country in the world. We've frozen billions of pounds worth of assets in this country. Other countries in the West have done the same. I worry that there's not a huge amount that we can do to add to that. Well, I don't know how much further we can go with sanctions, whether we can really target some of Putin's friends and, you know, requisition uh, property uh, around the globe of, of Russian of Putin's allies. But there must be some way further we can do, because we can't tolerate this sort of political assassination. I mean, it's a pretty... He's a rogue man. He's, a, he's an autocratic ruler. And, it, you know, with these sort of mad people like that, it's very hard to reason with them, isn't it? sally Ann, just uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, Labour this morning has vowed to eliminate fox hunting within the first five years of power, saying that there's not a majority in any part of the country that wants to see it continue. What's your thoughts on that? Well, we, we don't have fox hunting in the country. They want to close various loopholes that allow some rural communities to continue the sport in one way or another. I think they're talking about drag hunting. So yes, indeed they, they want are. to ban all sorts of country jobs and country pursuits. And they clearly have no idea about rural countryside and rural jobs.
So you think it would be a mistake to go further with the fox hunting ban? Yes, I do. That's very interesting indeed, because the Labour Party are also appealing, trying to appeal to rural communities. They don't want to be seen as constantly urban-minded in their approach. You're saying that by banning further fox hunting and, and, and similar activities, that actually they'd be alienating those rural voters? Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Fox hunting is already banned in... Uh, it, we, there we have a ban on fox hunting. So what they're trying to do is actually destroy all those rural jobs, the keeping of hounds, the drag hunting. They have... By, do, by, by, by saying that's what they want to do, they show very little understanding mm. about rural communities guess, and rural jobs. I guess they would argue that animal rights have to come first and that some practices are barbaric or go against the rights of animals. Do you not, do you not see that? Well, I don't think dogs and horses particularly um, hate doing the drag hunting. I think they find it quite, quite exciting. And how far do we go? You know, we have our farms. We've got farms who are targeted by these animal rights act activists just for keeping cattle and sheep. We've got to keep a balance here. Salian, just very uh, briefly, uh, there was an interesting story uh, in The Telegraph over the weekend about more than, well, up to 100 Tory MPs thinking of, quote, jumping ship before the election. Uh, your majority down in Sussex is uh, about 4,000, I believe. Is that right? Are you tempted to jump ship before... <laughs> are, you, are you tempted to, to jump ship before facing the people? Absolutely not. I'm a Conservative MP and I believe in the Conservative Party. I believe in the Prime Minister and I think we have a very good chance of winning. What do you make of your colleagues who are quitting before facing the public? I, wonder, I, I, think, if, well, I think it's probably media nonsense. It's speculation. And I would remind colleagues, if they were tempted, that they are Conservative, elected as Conservative, and only a Conservative government can defeat Labour. Well, thank you very much indeed for your time. Sally Ann Hart, great to speak to you, Conservative MP. Yeah, interesting point about the fox hunting. Mm. Um, th there are lots of loopholes at the moment, and uh, if you go to places like the Boxing Day hunt in Lewis, uh, in actual fact, maybe not in Lewis particularly, but other places, they have found evidence where they are still doing uh, traditional, normal fox hunting using normal foxes. So This is the problem. I mean, it's a generalisation, but by and large, rural communities are more likely to be conservative-held, and then urban areas more likely to be Labour, at least in England, anyway. So there is that, you know, idea that Labour are for the urban... Urban, the urban yeah. voter and the Conservatives represent the, uh, the uh, rural communities, but we'll see at the next election if that changes. Yeah, OK, let's turn our attentions back to Russia now. The government is currently assessing, uh, the UK government, is assessing the response to the death of jailed Vladimir Putin critic Alexei Navalny. Lord Cameron has suggested there could be more sanctions on Russian officials as Shadow Foreign Secretary David Lammy called on the government to review sanctions and undertake new efforts to target those responsible for corruption. Well, joining us now in the studio is our reporter, Charlie Peters. Charlie, uh, just out of interest, when we're talking about more sanctions on Russia, do you know where we are in terms of sporting events? Because that's something that people say could affect Putin in a way that some financial sanctions don't, in terms of the ego. 
Mm. Well, in the last decade, there's been vast exposures of corruption, in particular with doping in Russian sport, which has led to widespread blocks on the Russian involvement in the Olympic Games and also some other major athletic events. You may recall a, a documentary film called Icarus, which uncovered uh, widespread corruption and doping strategies in that space. Britain has always uh, led the way uh, in Europe in particular in terms of tackling the uh, doping crisis in Russia. Uh, Lord Coe, formerly uh, organiser of the Olympics, now um, involved in the International Athletics uh, Federations. He took a very strong line on the issue of Russian doping when that scandal arose. But what the Foreign Secretary Lord Cameron is talking about today is the potential for fresh sanctions towards Russian actors close to Vladimir Putin. We know that right now the widow of Navalny is in Brussels meeting with European policy chiefs. She's recently met with Charles Michel, the EU Council president, and the EU's foreign policy chief, Josep Borrell, said that they could target those in the Russian penitentiary system. Of course, the widow, Yulia, says that they haven't been able to access the body to assess the damage, and she is alleging that they are allowing the nerve agent Novichok to exit his body before public observation and more authorities are allowed to assess him. Uh, what Cameron's calling for, reportedly, also includes the seizing of Russian assets that have been frozen in Europe. Hundreds of billions of dollars of supposedly dirty Russian money have been held by the authorities. The I newspaper reported this morning that this has been uh, with, resisted to some degree by the city who are concerned about the state seizing assets in such a manner, even if they are connected to dirty Russian money. But no clearance on what the government's plan is at the moment. Uh, Lord Cameron is currently on a plane to the Falkland Islands ahead of attending the G20's meeting of foreign ministers in Argentina. We do know that the shadow foreign secretary, David Lammy, has called for... Uh, fresh sanctions to take place. He's, and he's also pointed towards, quite interestingly, London as Europe's dirty money capital. And he said that whatever happens next needs to be serious and a clean-up of Britain's streets. In 2008, the then Labour government introduced the, the so-called golden visa scheme, allowing people essentially to buy citizenship. Now, this scheme only lasted for seven years, but it was exploited by thousands of potentially nefarious foreign actors, in particular those of Chinese and Russian origin. That has left a legacy of dirty money in London. And this is what the Shadow Foreign Secretary has said he wants to see cleaned up. What do you make of David Lammy's comments that he wanted to see Putin in The Hague? Uh, well, he wants a, a special tribunal uh, to deal with this. Um, well, I don't think Mr Putin is going to be facing that risk any time soon, especially while this war goes on. And as you have said in the last hour, Ben, there has been recent Russian military success in the East. Another way that uh, European and Western powers could resist this uh, assassination, as it's being dubbed, of Navalny in Siberia is through further arms to Ukraine. There is that $60 billion mm. package currently delayed going through Congress. Denmark has given all of its artillery over to the Ukrainians. Britain is obviously a major supply of artillery. But in those recent defeats, uh, the first major Ukrainian defeat in over yeah. a year, 
uh, they have found themselves vastly outnumbered, not only in terms of manpower, but in artillery support. Frankly, the West and Europe in, in particular cannot produce the number of shells that Ukraine needs. Lamy might want Putin in front of a special court, but in the meantime, he's still fighting a war. Well, thank you very much indeed, Charlie Peters, our reporter there. Now, still to come, the Prince of Wales is doing good when it comes to homelessness. He's announced plans to build homes on Duchy of Cornwall land. That's to tackle homelessness. And it seems like it's going to be a rather large scheme. We'll bring you the latest on that. You're watching Good Afternoon Britain on GB News. Now then, Lee Anderson here. Join me on GB News on my show, The Real World, every Friday at 7pm. I'm not eating bloody cat. Are you Delicious. Mental? In your mouth. OK. Here comes, a, here comes a train. Reminds me of the scene in Singing in the Rain. Adam, is that a good one? Oh, oh. Join me at 7 on GB News, Britain's news channel. Martin Daubney. Weekdays from 3pm. They're trying to make it better or they're trying to make it slower, a lot slower. Slower enough, in fact, for it to sufficiently allow the boats to start coming mm. in to cause further political damage to Rishi Sunak. Which is it will this. do if it carries Of course on. it will. And this is the Labour peers, the Lib Dem peers, and no doubt some of the Conservative wets, bandying together, causing political damage to Rishi Sunak. And the, the longer it goes on, the worse it will be mm. for the Conservative party. There's now a deadline on the Rwanda plan. It's got to start working this summer to have any electoral benefit for Richie Sunak because, of course, the election is in November. By then, the, the crossings will slow down. It's got to, get, got to be up and running by about May or June, and, and then they'll take it from there. Cool. And you have a crumb of comfort for us. Richie Sunak met a Prime Minister. Well, a crumb of comfort for, for those who want to stop the boat, certainly, or we'll get towards it. The PM today met um, Alexander de Croo, who's a Belgium um, a Prime Minister. They've agreed a UK-Belgium law enforcement cooperation agreement. In short, that is a focus on surveillance and information, ultimately, which should help stop the boats. Not many boats make crossings from Belgium, but it's the kind of they can hopefully use law enforcement. These are the kind of deals which Sir Keir Starmer's talking about. If he becomes Prime Minister, he'll do more of these deals with, um, with um, uh, countries on the continent, and this shows that the, the PM, the Tory PM, can do them too. And there may be um, intelligence sharing of crime gangs that operate yes. within Belgium. As you say, it's a much, much further distance, much more perilous across the North Sea. Very unlikely that people be leaving in any great numbers from Belgium, mm. but nevertheless, is this of note or is it, is it a token well, victory well, against you know, a backdrop of domestic law? It's they could do it with Belgium and not do it with the European Union, because so far we've been told the returns agreements can't be agreed with individual countries because they've got the European Union to talk to. Maybe this deal can be mirrored with France, and that might help with better cooperation, because basically after Brexit we're a sovereign country, we have to work on some areas more closely with our, with our, our, our European neighbours. When the news happens, it happens here. And really important breaking news. Breaking news this morning. On TV, radio and online, the news starts here on Britain's Newsroom. All the biggest stories and the answers that you need from across the UK and beyond. Join Britain's Newsroom from 9.30 on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's news channel. Your weekend starts here with Friday Night Live with me, Mark Dolan, 8 till 9 on GB News. Big stories, big guests and big laughs as we get you ready for a cracking weekend. That's Friday Night Live with Mark Dolan. Fridays 8 till 9 on GB News. Bring your own drinks. The admission's free. Welcome back. It's 2.28. Lots of you have been getting in touch about what Sally Ann Hart MP said there about fox hunting and the various loopholes. Mm. Lots of people not very impressed with that. 
with the loopholes or yeah. banning it. Yeah. It just seems a bit of a weird decision for Labour. They traditionally wouldn't get those rural votes anyway, so what's the point? Well, no, more that people absolutely are furious with the prospect of anything to do with fox hunting, absolutely mm. detest it, obviously from an animal rights perspective. Right, yep. But then, of course, uh, these are loopholes. This is not quite fox hunting, because fox hunting is, of course, already banned. But anyway, in other news, the Prince of Wales has announced plans to build homes on Duchy of Cornwall land. This is to tackle homelessness in the southwest of England. Yes, working alongside homelessness charity St Petrox, the project will provide 24 new homes in Newquay with, quote, wraparound support for local people experiencing homelessness to create a path to a permanent home. Well, let's speak to GV News Royal Correspondent Cameron Walker, who has the details. So we mentioned 24 homes, but this could be much bigger than that. Yeah, absolutely, Emily. It's understood to be just the first in many housing projects right across the country that Prince William and the Duchy of Cornwall will be creating. It's also thought that the national... Well, the national um, average, I suppose, the, uh, for social housing is 30% of a new development. Prince William and the Duchy of Cornwall want to increase that to 40%. Of course, since becoming Prince of Wales, Prince William's now had access to 130,000 acres across the country. And this new development uh, in Newquay, as you say, 24 homes. But it's more the support services that goes with it. It's all to try and support people at risk of homelessness. So there's going to be mental health support, counselling services, training and employment opportunities as well. And last year, Prince William launched his Homewards campaign it's a five-year project with six flagship locations across the country to demonstrate homelessness can be ended when governments and local councils and businesses and local stakeholders all work together. So that's what Prince William is trying to do here. Of course, he's just one man. He may be the Prince of Wales, he may be the future king, but I think it's more... He's obviously not going to solve homelessness in mm. this country um, by himself, but I suppose by spotlighting all these locations, he's hoping he can make a bit of a difference. Yeah, and actually, what a, what a better uh, example than the Prince of Wales, the future king, um, leading forth with the charge to do this. I have to ask Cameron, some people are going to hate me for this, what do you think Prince Harry will be thinking looking across the pond and seeing William getting stuck into traditional royal duties like this whilst he's, you know, attending um, glitzy ceremonies and whatnot? Yeah, I think over the last couple of years, uh, there has definitely been, perhaps a bit, particularly online, a bit of a rivalry between Prince William and Harry. Behind the scenes, I don't think as much. Of course, Prince William was also on a red carpet himself last night for, uh, as president of BAFTA. Uh, but I think, to be honest, Kensington Palace are very much ignoring what's going on across the other side of the Atlantic, just as the Sussexes seems to be ignoring what Prince William is doing as well. They've gone in separate directions. They clearly have separate ambitions and, and, and tasks. But Prince William knows his duty, he knows his future king, and he's trying to make a difference to ordinary people in this country. Well, thank you very much indeed, Cameron Walker, our GB News royal correspondent there. It's nice to see Prince William doing something actually productive well, and uh, useful and helping other people less fortunate. Well, that's my point. Um, no offence to Harry, but they talk a lot about compassion and, you know, humanity and stuff, but it, it never really seems to manifest in anything proper, whereas Prince William as far as I can see, just gets his head down, um, cracks on and comes up with really great plans like yeah, this. Yes, so if you're truly compassionate, you probably don't need to tell the world that you are because your actions will speak for themselves, just, you would have thought. Yeah. Well, you can uh, toot your own trumpet as much as you like, but you've got to show it, don't you? But coming up, Boris Johnson would bring back half of lost Tory votes and is the favourite to replace Sunak. But is he the man for the job or would you uh, 
not like to see him back. We'll be discussing that with our panel after your headlines with Sam. Ben, Emily, thank you very much. It's uh, just gone half past two. Our top story this afternoon. A man who piloted a boat across the English Channel has today been found guilty of manslaughter. Those who are watching on TV will be able to see this exclusive footage that was obtained by GB News of the rescue operation that took place in December 2022. Four migrants drowned during that crossing after the boat ran into difficulty. Ibrahim Abar, who was a Senegalese migrant, claimed that he had sailed a boat before. That meant that he was allowed to make the journey for free, while others paid thousands. The judge said today the boat was navigated using only mobile phones, and as a result of his actions, four people lost their lives. In other news, a man has appeared in court after Vietnamese migrants were found in the back of a freezer lorry at a New Haven port last week. 42-year-old Anas Al-Mustafa, who lives in Swansea, has been accused of assisting unlawful entry into the UK after seven migrants broke through a wall and escaped from a van he was driving. Prosecutors told the court that their exit was helped by people on the outside trying to break them out of the vehicle. Four of the seven migrants are still in hospital, with one, we understand, in a critical condition. Mr Al-Mustafa will appear again at Lewis Crown Court on the 18th of March. Downing Street says Alexei Navalny's death must be investigated fully and that those responsible in the Russian regime must be held to account. Comes as MPs are set to discuss the issue this afternoon as the government decides what actions to take in response to the Putin critic's death. It comes as his wife Yulia Navalny vows to continue his work, saying that the reason for his death is known and the details of those responsible will be made public. And here in the UK, a major crime investigation is ongoing in Bristol after three young children were found dead. Officers responded to a welfare call and found the bodies of a boy aged seven, a three-year-old girl and a ten-month-old boy. A 42-year-old woman was arrested at the scene. She was then taken to hospital and is still in police custody. And specialist dive teams are combing the River Saw in Leicester in the search for a two-year-old boy who fell into the water there on Sunday. Leicestershire police are intensifying their efforts to locate the missing toddler with the help of a helicopter and aerial technology. Officers have said rising water levels are presenting some danger and they're asking people to keep away from the area. For the latest stories, you can sign up to GB News Alerts by scanning the QR code on your screen or go to gbnews.com alerts. When the news happens, it happens here. And really important breaking news. Breaking news this morning. On TV, radio and online, the news starts here on Britain's Newsroom. All the biggest stories and the answers that you need from across the UK and beyond. Join Britain's Newsroom from 9.30 on GB News. The People's Channel, Britain's news channel. The Camilla Tomini Show. Sunday mornings from 9.30. Um, we had Grant Shapps on last week. He was talking about how defence spending is now creeping up to two and a quarter percent of GDP. Ben Wallace's uh, predecessor suggested it should be three percent. We hear that we've got the smallest army, I think, since the Napoleonic Wars. Numbers are get down. There's a question as to whether we can staff frigates in the Red Sea. Why haven't we sent aircraft carriers? What's your impression of the situation? Well, I don't think it matters how much you spend, it's how effectively you spend it. And we spend it very ineffectively. We have lots of scandals about defence spending. And I think partly because of the monopoly position of some of our defence suppliers, 
we don't get uh, good value and we don't get reliability. This latest story in The Telegraph is that HMS Diamond, which is our ship, which is out there uh, defending the Red Sea, doesn't have the capability of firing a missile from the ship to the land, so it can't participate in the attacks on the Houthis. So in order that we can participate in the attacks, we're flying RAF aircraft from Cyprus, yeah. which is a very long way away. Um, when I was Defence Secretary, I ordered um, cruise missiles for our nuclear-powered, uh, but not nuclear-armed, submarines. And I think we have six or possibly seven of those. But last autumn, it was reported that five of those were out of commission, were not available. Uh, we have about 21 aggressive surface ships. So we've got two aircraft carriers and we've got frigates and we've got um, destroyers. But at any one time, you can count on about uh, half of those not being available because they're under refit or whatever. So we have a minimal uh, surface fleet now. And for whatever reason, it doesn't seem that we're able to deploy a submarine to the area that can fire cruise missiles. Our two aircraft carriers, built at enormous expense, are sitting in Portsmouth. Which seems to most people ludicrous, well, at least it, with what's going on. It doesn't seem thing. ludicrous to me. I'm Andrew Doyle. Join me at 7 o'clock every Sunday night for Free Speech Nation, the show where I tackle the week's biggest stories in politics and current affairs with the help of my two comedian panellists and a variety of special guests. Free Speech Nation, Sunday nights from 7 on GB News, the People's Channel, Britain's news channel. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens with our team of dedicated journalists across the UK. We're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Well, it's 2.38. I'm Emily. He's Ben. You're watching Good Afternoon Britain on GB News. Now, we touched on this earlier in the show, this brand new poll that Boris Johnson would apparently bring back half of lost Tory votes. And so he's the favourite to replace Sunak, at least among Conservative voters. Yeah, and it was a mega poll, wasn't it? Mm. It wasn't just 100 or 200 voters. It was nearly 14,000. So pretty damning. Which is more than most polls. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's pretty damning uh, support for the case to bring back Boris. Will it come before the election if it ever happens. To be honest, he's earning nearly five million quid a year doing speeches to the likes of Goldman Sachs. That is so. quite incredible, isn't it? Well, it's, yeah, it's You're prime yet. minister for a little while and then you can rake in five million pounds a year. I guess he's, uh, you know, he's got some uh, oomph, he's got some charisma that people will pay money for. Well, that's the thing. He was famously or infamously short on policy, but big on character. He can win elections. He won uh, the London mayor election against the odds. He won that massive majority in 2019. But should we get the thoughts now of our... But he's very much Marmite. Very much Marmite. I think he definitely is now. At the start, <laughs> he was billed as, as you know, Thatcher-esque, uh, mm. proper conservative. But he mm. kind of lost his way a little bit, people say. He went down the, the road to net zero. Let's ask our panel, superstar of GB News, Nana Aquir, <laughs> and political editor, a superstar in his own right, Kevin Schofield. <laughs> He's really left out. <laughs> Equality. Two superstars. We're all superstars. <laughs> in our own way. <laughs> in our own way, in our own special way. Nana, mm. if I remember rightly, mm. you're quite a fan of, of Bojo. Do you think he'd be running the show better than Rishi? Well, I think anyone could run the show better than Rishi. I did say at the time this is the most stupid thing 
thing that they've ever done uh, because he was democratically elected and also as the most unsavoury way that they thought that they'd sort of get rid of him. It was almost what has happened is almost like what's happened with Donald Trump is that you get rid of people in an unceremonious manner and those watching see how you're behaving. Those people are likely to go onto the side of the person that you've upset. So a lot of people were angry at the way they treated Boris. Uh, but the other thing, I, 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 the problem with the Conservative Party, if they really think change the leader will do anything, I think they're totally wrong. I interviewed Dame Andrea Jenkins on mm. Saturday and she said, bring back Boris. Um, I said, what about that six-week bit where you're looking for a new leader and this, that and the other and you've got all the 1922 committee and all the nonsense that went on? People will not tolerate it. Uh, but she said, well, we couldn't particularly do any worse. But I noticed <laughs> in this poll yeah. that 80% of one-time Conservatives, these are people who sort of, he, he, we, they lent the vote to, said that if they had a more Conservative leader, they are more likely to vote Conservative. So uh, all Richard Sunak needs to do is, for God's sake, adopt some Conservative policies, because <laughs> Richard Tice was right. They're like two socialist parties. We haven't got a proper choice. That's interesting, though, Kevin, because a lot of people on the left say that this uh, current government is uh, far right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would, yeah. I, I don't go along with that. You know, it's so easy to throw around, mm. you know, fascism and all these types of labels. You know, it kind of um, dilutes the true meaning of the word. But I mean, on he's not coming back. That's no. that's the bottom line. And never. Well, well, you said it yourself. He's earning five million quid a year. Why on earth would he? Um, I mean, he's been Prime Minister. He obviously mm. was desperate to be Prime Minister. He wanted to be World King when he was a kid. All right, it didn't go very well for him, I think it's safe to say. He was, he was booted out for a reason. You know, did, did Boris not once say that he had, or at least friends, had told newspapers that he had, quote, unfinished business? Yeah, but I still think if push came to shove... I mean, if he was so desperate to be leader again or Prime Minister again, why would he have quit as an MP? Well, he what, had, he had, instantly made it much more difficult to. for himself. But he gave a speech, did he not, where he said at the end in a... Uh, oh, hasta la vista. Yeah, hasta la vista, I'll be back. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, but he likes being... He's mischievous, isn't he? He likes dropping these little <laughs> bombs in there to get people talking and, you know, to drum up a bit of interest. We'll bring her back, he'll come back. But I just don't... No, no, just simply, why not? I mean, the Tories, if you believe the polls, are mm. going to be wiped out anyway. Why wouldn't? If Boris is up for it, why wouldn't the Tories just welcome him back one last throw of the dice, see what happens? Well, because, uh, first of all, I don't think he's stupid enough to join a, sink, uh, a ship that has actually almost sunk. I mean, you'd have to be an idiot to do that. And I don't think... I think Boris is quite intelligent. Um, and I also think that, that it's just... I think it's not considering the people. If they think that it's a good idea to spend six weeks or whatever it is on electioneering, which is an ego trip ultimately, because mm. they think that they're going to do a bit better when they're going to lose anyway, I'm sorry to say. Um, I you think... would also have to be an MP. So you didn't well, no, they, didn't, well, they didn't need that with David Cameron, did they? They just brought him back yeah, and made him a lord. Yeah, but that's You couldn't be Prime Minister. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. day and age. I don't know. They did it with David well, then, Cameron. Uh, David Cameron didn't well, have that any... would involve Rishi Sunak then having to give him a period. But I'm thinking more of after well, yeah. this next general election. There'll be lots of uh, yeah. people on manoeuvres. Yeah. You know, we hear of Robert Jenrick wanting to be the leader. We hear of Suella Braverman, of course, Kevin Badnock and Penny Mordaunt. Grant So Boris Johnson could throw his hat in the mix in the ring then. Kevin, what, full of ego. What about a Farage, Johnson, Anderson? <laughs> no. Oh, my word. <laughs> Here comes you the cavalry of oh, the God. true Conservatives. Will that not instill fear into the Labour Party? I, I, I doubt it very much. I don't think that would be terribly... You'd, you'd enjoy that as a dinner party, I, Kevin. Oh, I tell you, it would be hilarious to watch. Don't, don't get me wrong. It'd be great fun to watch, mm. but I don't think, as a practical alternative to a Labour government, I don't think it would really um, fly. And, uh, you know, why would he want to come back as leader of the opposition? Mm. 
It's the, it's the worst job well, in politics, it's well, so also, that, especially if they've just been hammered. Mm. Well, also, the election. point is that what people are saying is if they adopted more conservative um, policies, so all they have to do, keep the same leader, but just be conservative. Just do that. Well, do you think the Labour Party have got the right idea? They're clearly sticking with their man, Keir Starmer. He was a bit of a dud uh, to begin with, and then the polls started changing. Perhaps if the Conservatives had just stuck with the same person, they'd be in a better place. Absolutely. I believe that Keir Starmer went on this whole Partygate trip, even though with his beer gate antics, which were almost identical. Um, but it, what was some... it? Sakorma. Sakorma. Did you see the, the, the... What was the Karma Sutra, the Starmer Sutra? That's hilarious. <laughs> no, listen, Keir Starmer has just sat there quietly doing nothing, because every time he says something, he then re rewinds. So he's just a U-turn, and nobody can trust anything he has to say. But that's why he said nothing. He sat on the fence, he's got splinters, and um, he's made literally a U-turn on every single one of their major policies. He, he should have just done what Joe Biden did and hide in his basement. You're ahead in the polls by stupid amounts. Yeah. Just don't do anything. I just think that's pretty much what he's done. He's done that. He's yeah. not really. I mean, there's not really been a lot that you can yeah. point to and say, well, he's done this, because he's been able just to sit back and watch the Conservatives yeah. tear themselves apart. Yeah, he went to go rid of yeah. Boris, the Liz Trust disaster. You know, they're still tearing themselves <laughs> apart now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, It'll be very interesting to see what happens with the uh, the ceasefire debate oh, and whether oh. Labour will put their own motion in, because obviously Keir Starmer's changed his tune on that one as mm. well under pressure. But thank you, Nana. Thank you, Kevin. Coming up, the NHS Trust, get this, says trans women's oh. milk <laughs> is just as good as, you know, the traditional women's breast milk. Yeah, um, surprise, surprise, that's come out of Brighton, the University of Sussex and as NHS Hospitals Trust. Yeah, stay tuned for Nana's view on that one. Mm. <laughs> 2024, a battleground year. The year the nation decides. As the parties gear up their campaigns for the next general election. Who will be left standing when the British people make one of the biggest decisions of their lives? Who will rise? and who will fall. Let's find out together. For every moment, the highs, the lows, the twists and turns. We'll be with you for every step of this journey. In 2024, GB News is Britain's election channel. Good afternoon, Britain. Weekdays from midday. Francis, just stop oil have in the past broken the law. I remember distinctly the uh, Dartford crossing. That ended up with two jailed, I believe, if I remember correctly. Is it ever justified in your view? Hi, uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I mean, I would, I would have to say yes. I mean, we're trying to preserve my life, your lives, the lives of your family. And it's not just the planet that we're trying to protect. It's the lives of, of millions of people. And, you know, we know from history that we have to break the law in order to, to put pressure on the government and to, to be listened to. No and one would doubt your battles. sincerity in your views. You genuinely believe in what you fight for. But there are others who think differently. For example, there are Islamist extremists who believe that people will go to hell unless they convert to Islam. They will sincerely, perhaps, break the law in order to force people to convert. In their view, they might be saving people's lives for eternity. There might be abortion activists who say that babies are being murdered and to save their lives, we need to break the law to stop people having abortions. Why do you get to say that your moral conviction is the one that's right and other people's individual moral conviction are those that are wrong? 
So what's really integral to the Just Stop Oil campaign is the fact that it is a non-violent campaign. That's what separates us from the examples that you've just given. We're absolutely dedicated non-violence, both as a tactic and as a principle. So though we might be breaking the law... If individuals take it upon themselves to break the law for whatever their course is, surely the way that we decide what society wants in general is democratic and within the law. Well, of course, we know also that protest is absolutely integral to maintaining and upholding a democracy, and in particular, non-violent protest. I mean, I really can't express to you how severe this situation is, and I'm sure you know this. I'm Michelle Jubery, and I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'd much rather hear what you have to say. So, send in your opinions to gbviews at gbnews.com. Keep them clean, and you never know, I might read them out. With my panel here on Jubes & Co, we debate, we get stuck into the issues of the day on a show where all views are welcome, especially yours. GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Right, well, fury has very much been sparked after a leaked letter from the NHS Trust revealed drug-induced milk from transgender women is just as good for babies as women's breast milk. Mm, yum, sounds delicious. The medical director <laughs> describes both types uh, of milk uh, as human milk, adding that they are the ideal food for infants. Let's welcome back GB News presenter Nana Aquir, who I fear has something strong to say about this, and political editor for The Huffington Post, Kevin Schofield. Nana, my question to you is, if you really cared about a baby or an infant, and you knew the possible risks about giving uh, male breast milk, not least the nutritional value of it, mm. why wouldn't you just give them formula? I'm sorry, but this is... I just think this is disgusting. It's absurd, first of all, to, to compare something that has been generated. So the, these, these men, who are trans women, uh, the biological men, have taken a number of hormones, first of all, to enable their hormones to be stabilised mm. so they can say they're women. Then they are taking certain hormones to produce the actual breast tissue, so they're taking suppressants of um, testosterone and they're taking oestrogen and progesterone to enable the tissue. Then they're taking other chemicals to create the lactation and some of those chemicals can cause heart arrhythmias mm -hmm. and this can all go across. First of all, if you were a woman and you were giving birth to, to a baby, you would know that any of these chemicals could go across the placenta. So we women are very, very careful we don't take drugs of any sort so that we protect our children. Then, of course, we know that the drugs can go through into the breast milk. Traces can be found. And there is no real study that says that there are no traces of this stuff within it. There was a study in 2022 which this hospital trust quote as saying that the breast milk was fine, testosterone levels remained um, even, but they didn't check what was actually in the breast milk and they have no way of knowing what damage or what effect that will have on the person who receives this milk. And to compare it and say that it's just as good is rubbish because actually when a baby is suckling, if the baby has some sort of illness or something, what the baby in, within the baby's saliva is a chemical that then goes through into the breast milk and it reconfigures the, the type of milk that the mother produces mm. to help with whatever that is. And also within breast milk we have, uh, we have antibodies passing through it. Uh, we have all sorts of things passing through to mm. assist the baby. It is tailor-made milk for that baby. And I cannot believe that a medical organisation would be stupid enough to say that it's as good as breast milk. It's rubbish. But I guess a lot of people would say that 
you know, we already have formula milk mm. for children. There are women who can't breastfeed. If this study has looked into this and they say, actually, it is fine for babies, then what's the problem, Nana? We'll use formula milk, then. Why is a man putting a thing on this thing to do... Th it's, it's, to me, this is somebody's perversion, in my view, and all they want to do is feel the notion of breastfeeding. It is not about the safety of the baby. This is about satisfying the identity, identity crisis within mm. somebody who believes that they're a woman. Kevin, is Nana being harsh if this uh, milk is deemed fine by an NHS trust, by this study that they're mm. backed by, then what's the problem? I mean, I don't know whether it's a perversion or not. I mean, my, my take on it is ultimately what's good for the baby. If it's good for the baby, then fine. But the story here, the article does say that the quantity produced was lower than what would be needed, quotes, to sustain infant growth independently. Mm. So that would suggest, you know, that... There isn't enough of it. And I can just see, speaking from personal experience, our kids were largely brought up on formula milk mm. and they are completely fine. Same as mine. My two boys are formula fed. Well, that was my point. If you were a trans woman, why would you, why would you, why would you risk the, the, exactly. the breast milk concoction when you can just give them formula? You know it's safe. Um, I'll just read a quick statement from the, um, the hospital trust involved in this in Sussex. They said, we stand by the facts of the letter and the cited evidence supporting them. I guess is there something as... as two women yeah. on this panel. Mm. Um, is, it, is there an idea that, you know, women are supplementary? They don't really... We don't need them. Well, that, well, Man can do everything. Well, I think that, that's part of it. But the other part of this, which hasn't been mentioned, is that oh. the, that NHS Trust yeah. um, are part of the Stonewall Diversity Champions programme. So... And they have admitted that they got some of that information mm. from external sources. So the bottom line is, it is an eradication, in a sense, to me, of women. And I feel that there's another agenda underneath mm. it. There is no need for any of this. All right, great stuff. Thanks to Nana and Kevin for your attendance today. Great fun. <laughs> and to you, Emily, for having me as well. And, of course, to you, the viewers back home. Up next, it's Martin Daubney. Martin, what's coming up? Yeah. I feel a bit queasy after that man milk story, but let's plough through that. Can we trust Labour? That's the big question today. Three U-turns in one weekend on Gaza, on Brexit and on Net Zero. Plus, we speak to a woman who's banning trans customers from her bar and a wronged sub-mistress from a post office. Plus, the latest on a block of flats in Farnborough, 300 luxury flats being given to asylum seekers, despite the fact the locals do not want it. And the anti-woke degree speaks to us. That's all coming on my show, three till six. But first, here's your latest weather forecast. A brighter outlook with Bob Solar. Sponsors of weather on GB News. Hello, Alex Bergill here again with your latest GB News weather forecast. There is some pretty unsettled weather to come as we go through this week, but for the time being, it's largely fine because we've been under the influence of high pressure to the south of the UK, which has quietened our weather down. So although we did see a bit of rain earlier on in the day, through the afternoon, there's been plenty of dry and at times sunny weather. However, cloudy, wet and windy weather spilling across Scotland as we go through the night, further south and elsewhere, staying mostly dry, but thickening cloud from the west. The best chance of any clearer skies will be across eastern areas. Here temperatures taking a bit of a dip in some prone rural spots getting into low single figures, so perhaps a fresher start tomorrow morning than it has been recently. Otherwise, through the day tomorrow, a spell of wet and windy weather then spilling its way across parts of Scotland, Northern Ireland and later pushing their way into parts of northern and northwestern England and Wales. In the southeast, though, here it should stay largely dry with the rain not arriving until the overnight period. 
period. It is again going to be mild, highs of around 14 or 15 Celsius in the southeast, something a little bit fresher starting to push in from the northwest behind the front. Then into Wednesday, and this is when we're likely to see the heaviest rain and some strong blustery winds. The wettest weather likely to be across parts of the southwest. Here we're likely to see some disruption with some flooding possible as well as some issues on the roads. More uncertain weather to come as we go through later this week and into the weekend. Bye-bye. That warm feeling inside from Boxed Boilers, sponsors of weather on GB News. In the GB Newsroom, we bring you the news as it happens with our team of dedicated journalists across the UK. We're ready to give you accurate reporting every day. When the news breaks, we'll be there with bulletins on GB News, the people's channel, Britain's news channel. Lee Anderson's Real World. Fridays from 7pm. Dr Jane Jones, who's the clinical lead for Care After Combat. Yeah. Jane, thanks for coming. And uh, just tell me a little bit about your organisation. What do you do? OK, well, thank you for having me here so we can talk about Care After Combat. So we are an organisation, a charity, who work into the prison system, working with military veterans who've somehow got involved